Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590 to fan. George Russick, Brent Gunning here to the end of the Raptors and Wizards in D.C. That's when Brent and I get ethered and we get removed from the microphones immediately. And then William Liu takes over with the Raptors Reaction Podcast. He'll take your phone calls too. Raptors fresh off that impressive win at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. Looking to make it well, at least they lost to the Wiz earlier, and all of a sudden, don't look now, the Wiz aren't terrible, which is a weird world we live in. Who's been more surprising to you, Guns, the good start from the Wizards or the Bengals? It's just a weird world when those teams are relevant. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go Bengals because I have seen the Wizards be good in, in my lifetime, and I've never seen anything, I, I guess, outside of the Andy Dalton era uh, in, in Cincinnati. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to say that the Bengals are always more surprising being good. You don't remember Carson Palmer playing really good I, football for them I and getting hurt in that game against yeah. the Steelers? I do. I should I should put a little more respect on Carson Palmer's name, Hushman Zada, Chad Johnson, yeah. Ocho Cinco, whatever he was going by at any given time. Uh, the the guy, I'm completely forgetting his name, Who Chris Henry, I think, was that him who flipped over the defender into the end zone and felt like he was one of the first guys to do that. You're right. I should put a little respect, a little more respect on the Bengals, but the fact yeah. that I also kind of forgot that happened for 30 seconds yep. also was indicative of the Bengals. So I, I think I'll stick by my answer. I love that you brought up TJ Hushmanzada. That one NFL.com fantasy commercial they have, uh, TJ Who's Your Daddy, was one <laughs> of the good. better uh, commercials from back in the day. Uh, we got a busy show here. Like I said, we're on to the end of the Raptors and Wiz in D.C. We'll talk some Maple Leafs with Justin Cuthbert, who covers the Leafs and the NHL for Yahoo Sports. He'll join us in about 28 minutes. At the top of the next hour, Danny Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, co-host of the Wake and Rake Podcast at 8 o'clock, Dom Cosentino, Senior Features Writer for The Score on the National Football League, and Ryan Dixon, NHL Writer for Sportsnet.ca at 9 o'clock before we hand things over to William Liu. Uh, lots going on. Uh, these Jack Eichel rumors continue to be heating, out, heating up. It seems like it's a two-horse race between the Golden Knights and the Flames. And now, did Calgary purposely leak that Matthew Kachuk potentially could be the piece going back to Buffalo in a trade. And if I'm the Sabres, yeah, I'll, I'll get that done. I'll take Matthew Kachuk. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think of all the pieces that have kind of been bandied about, you know, it's funny. I was, of course, like like we always do, you know, you're talking with your buds when you see this news come out of a potential trade. And, you know, I think that that's still a steal for the Flames, like the the package that, that was rumored for for, uh, for for Eichel that centers around Kachuk. I think that's still a great deal from the Flames' perspective. But Kachuk is far and away the best player that we've heard actually up for grabs you know there have been well what about this player what about that player but this is the closest thing to a star level player that's concrete involved in in these rumors so yeah I mean you've, you've got to be excited about that if you're Buffalo to add a player like that but I think if you're the Flames you you do that deal in a heartbeat well let, let's even spin it towards well first of all two things number one uh if you're the Flames why would you give up on Kachuk when if you could pair Kachuk and Eichel now you got something going right? Uh, yep. Especially down the middle. But uh, tell me you wouldn't want Matthew Kachuk in this division just terrifying the Leafs and the Habs for the next, I don't know, six or seven years being all Matthew Kachuk? 
Well, and you know, like I haven't looked at the schedule, but you just know there's going to be a back-to-back where you're in Buffalo and then home to Ottawa. And the idea of dealing with Kachuk squared on back-to-back nights would yep. just make it even even worse. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think Matthew Kachuk sometimes gets a touch overstated what he is as a player because there just aren't a lot of guys like that. But, I mean, mm-hmm. again, I, I can't overstate it. That's a really, really solid piece to get back in a, in a Jack Eichel trade. And, yes, the idea of Kachuk. Chuck squared in the division. Also terrifying. Yeah, that, that would be great uh, seeing that guy uh, in this division. Um, Leafs with an impressive win last night, too. Uh, 4 nothing over the very, very, very undermanned Vegas Golden Knights. They looked like an expansion team last night for the first time, I think, in their history. <laughs> That's right. Well, that we've seen them here. And that was obviously the most complete effort of the Maple Leaf season last night. Uh, they looked great. Uh, the, the thing that really struck me was two things. Uh, the confidence that Mitch Marner has gotten back. And that goal he scored was the one Maxim Afanaganov goal that they were showing on uh, Twitter <laughs> comparing the two because it totally looked like that, the little spinorama, and then he put the puck in the net. That was just an incredible play by Mitch Marner. A, the confidence with Mitch Marner. B, and guns. The Leafs look fast again for the first time in a long time last night. Yeah, they they did, and I think I think it's it's no the you know Gordon and I were doing our post game podcast last night, and the thing I kept driving home in it is that it's amazing what happens when this team gets the snowball rolling downhill early in games. We've seen it a million times with this group where they're down a pair heading into the third period or early in the third period. And, Oh, look at all this life. Look at all this jump, but they just got that party started early last night. All three periods started with at least one grade a leaf scoring chance. And I think when you start a game like that with your top line of, of Matthews and Nylander and bunting starting the, the way they did the game just took over and you know you should look that way against the 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 way the the golden knights roster was set up missing all of the guys although it's a little easy to forget that for me at least when i still see peter angelo out there and robin laner had had an incredible game but yeah you're right they definitely look fast and honestly for me what that's just indicative of was to borrow a babism they started on time and it's amazing how a good team when they start the game with that level mm-hmm. of effort with those chances it kind of reminds everybody on the bench oh yeah we're really good every shift should feel that way and and is it that a little oversimplification i guess but i think it really really plays into why the game went the way it did that they actually got off to a hot start for once Guns, uh, the last couple games, how the Maple Leafs has looked, is that part and parcel with how Mitch Marner has played? Because you know I've said this many times on this radio station, and I believe this because I just I trust my hockey eye when I'm watching. When Mitch Marner is going, he's the engine of this team. That's just the way it is. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of Leaf fans don't like to hear that. But if he's going, he's the engine of this team, and we've seen that the last couple games. I think here's example, I don't know, 8,000-something that when Mitch Marner's going, this is just a different team. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I I still personally believe nothing gives this Leafs team life like the Austin Matthews goal you saw off the pass from Nylander last night. Like, I still think that is the one singular thing that makes every guy on that bench feel 10 feet tall and like they're never going to lose. Because if he's doing that, that's going to happen. But I think that that is just a little more dependable than Mitch Marner being this guy. And that if you have both of those things happening at the exact same time, which you saw last night, which you've started to see over the last handful of games, that it, it just takes this team to another stratosphere. And I think that that's why 
I, I mostly agree with what you're saying. I still think Matthews is the, the be-all and end-all in terms of the straw that stirs the drink and the, the guy that gives this team the most confidence. The real captain, kind of, if you will. But for, for Marner to go the way he does, I think the other thing is is that he's a guy who can wear it the most when it's not going this way. So it's yeah. both a boost to the team and it kind of removes... I don't want to say that he's pouting because I think that's completely overstating it. But I do think he wears it when he's not performing. So you remove that element and you basically add in a superstar at the exact same time. And yeah, of course, it's going to be a shot to the arm for this team when he gets going. And I also think that he's the guy who most embodies what this team should be. The high flying, the highlight reel plays, the dangles. Like he is the guy, he is the poster boy for all of that. So when he's going, the team just kind of gets rolling feeling that way as well. So yeah, I, I agree with you most of there. Yeah, I, I, I know it sounds counterintuitive that Austin Matthews is the most important player on the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't think there's any question about that. But to me, the engine of the Leafs is Mitch Marner. And even Austin Matthews talked about it, that when he's going, uh, it's just a different team. And all it gets the guys going on the bench, too, when they see he's out there making these incredible plays with the puck. And it just lifts the entire bench and... It's even he talked about it this week that uh, hockey hasn't been fun for him lately. And it's so it, it's so oversimplified and it's something we can't quantify. But confidence in the join the game is it has affected him. And we saw Mitch Marner play in big stretches of that last year during the regular season when the Leafs were destroying the North Division. And in the playoffs, again, the weight of being a Toronto Maple Leaf, nobody wears it more than Mitch Marner, and I think nobody feels the pressure like Mitch Marner does for this team to win. Uh, John Tavares, I get it. He's the hometown guy who came back, but he came back. Austin Can Matthews robots double- feel pressure also? Can ro- robots can't feel well, pressure. Well, like, if he bleeds, he's a man. Anyway, uh, <laughs> right, if... Right. If uh, Austin Matthews, God bless him, is American. He don't understand what it's like to be a Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, he has an idea being here, but he doesn't feel it. He didn't grow up with it like Mitch Marner did. And when you see him shake off that playoff uh, residual effect, because I think there was a big hangover still at the beginning of the season with the Maple Leafs. They're starting to come out of that hangover because it feels like they drank a lot of Gatorade. They took a lot of Advils. The hangover starting to PDI. subside a little bit. And we've seen that a little bit here the last couple of games and it all it all revolves around Mitch Marner and I know he's public enemy number one still here with the Maple Leafs because if they lose a game what do people want to talk about right away his contract and when anybody else signs a contract in the NHL it's as sure as sure can be Mitch Marner starts to trend on social media because everyone hates Mitch Marner for taking that contract once he's going the Leafs are ridiculously dangerous and we've seen it the last couple nights sure was it against inferior opponents because Vegas was missing all their top players and the Red Wings are still in a complete and total rebuild? Would it be a little more different when they play the Bruins who really don't have any goaltending or the Tampa Bay Lightning? Sure, but they looked different when Mitch Marner's going and they look a hell of a lot faster. Well, and I think I think the biggest thing about that too is that, you know, this isn't uh, to pick on a guy. This isn't Alex Kerfoot having a good stretch of games, although I think he has done that. It's Mitch Marner doing that, and he's not going to now go play Tampa and Boston and say, oh, well, I just did it against Vegas. I can't carry that into... No, he's Mitch Marner. He's going to feel like he can do that because he's done it at every single level he's ever played on, including the league he's playing in right now. This is a guy who has more than done it. I know not in the playoffs. I know not when anyone wants it, but I just it feels like confidence is the... 
it's important to every great player, but some guys are able to kind of weather the storm. Like you think of a, a guy like Crosby, it just feels like one, he's playing in Pittsburgh, so the noise doesn't get all that loud. But when it does, it feels like somebody like that is able to quiet it. A guy like Ovechkin, he has that kind of exact opposite demeanor. He will kind of laugh it off and not really care. Marner does not have that luxury here, and it's you nailed it. He wears it because he cares the most. I think sometimes people think he doesn't care at all. I heard that a lot during the summer of, oh, he got his money. What does he care? Oh, no. no. He cares. Don't get me wrong. He got the money. Yeah. He absolutely did. But he cares so much. And he knows how much everyone hearing me say all this right now cares. And that's why it weighs on him the most. So it's that's why it is most, most, most important for him to get going. Because I think just he is maybe the player, honestly, maybe in the league of all superstars, that confidence impacts what he is as a player the most. And if he can carry this in, you know, it's, it's now building to the point where I can easily see him get on a roll where all of a sudden we're not talking about the slow start, not in terms of the start, but in terms of his numbers. And you'll be, see him back near a point per game. I can easily see that happening. Also not lost on me that the power play got a goal last night. And it's just, yeah. it seems like when they were able to fix one element, and I hate to go back to this because it seems so simple, but when they start the game, on time, and they get off to a good start, every single yeah. thing snowballs. Marner feels good. The power play looks better. They're able to start successive periods on time, finish the game. Like, it's just, it's not an accident to me that just getting the snowball rolling at the start of the game, as opposed to at the end when you're trailing, leads to every other good thing for this Leafs team. Um, The blue line. Uh, Travis Dermott played last night and now is apparently banged up after last night's game. Uh, what did you think of him replacing um, Justin Hall so far on this blue line? What what grade would you give uh, Travis Dermott so far back on this Maple Leafs blue line? I'd give him a, a solid B minus, C plus, Ooh. somewhere in there. I don't think he has been like tremendous. I don't think. Yeah, it looks like, well, or I mean. C plus. I, yeah, C plus or like what is a passing grade? Just like give me that. If we could get the credit and then we'll figure it out after. Yes, a lot of that for me. I, I think the thing with Dermot is and the fan base is guilty of this at times in terms of just kind of picking a D and if he's on the ice, it's his fault for everything. I kind of think coaching staffs are guilty of this as well. You know, there was a play uh, not in the last game, but in the Detroit game where Dermott got rubbed out behind the net. And again, hey, win a puck battle. That's on you. But Austin Matthews is standing right there. Doesn't recover the puck. Morgan Riley's late coming into the pitcher as, uh, as I think it was Lucas Raymond had a great chance from the slot. And it felt like that was a moment everyone's pinpointing to to say, ugh, Dermott. And it feels to me like there are a lot of other players on this team looking at you, Rasmus Sandy, and looking at you, Timothy Lilligren. Definitely looking at you Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall this year that they've made those mistakes and now granted there's a bigger body of work so they get more of the benefit of the doubt but I think that the eyeballs are just super trained on Travis Dermott and I guess on one hand that's a good thing if you feel like you can take advantage of that and really improve your positioning but it also feels like everybody is waiting for him to to make the mistake so I, uh, I at first I thought he got scratched when he didn't play in the second period I guess it was part of being banged up he got back into the regular rotation uh, during the third last night, but I, I think that Dermott's been fine. I, I don't think he is some transcendent defender who who has proven without a shadow of a doubt that he's in the top four, but I don't think he's been worse than Justin Hall this season either. Can I draw a, a football parallel to the Maple Leafs that I've been please. thinking about? Please. Okay, so the Leafs remind me of 
the Kansas City Chiefs, and here's why. And obviously without the success, right, especially the world championship. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But the Chiefs, the Chiefs are struggling mightily this year. Uh, their defense has been horrendous. One of the worst units on all of the NFL. Why? Because their offense is struggling. Because they're built to be up big and rush the quarterback. That's what their defense is designed to be. The Leafs' defense is not designed to be a shutdown team that can beat you up and, and punish you in front of the net. No, the Leafs' blue line is designed to get the puck up to their forwards and possess the puck. That's what this Leafs team is. And then when the offense isn't playing well, and Sheldon Keefe has talked about it, the defense starts to get exposed for what it really is. It's a puck-moving unit that isn't a shutdown unit. And you all, all of a sudden, these last couple games, the team's starting to skate. They're starting to distribute the puck. The blue line looks a lot better, even though it has been undermanned with Muzzin and Hall. And you're right, Muzzin and Hall have been exposed a little bit. I think that has to do a little bit with Muzzin being banged up. But also, the offense was struggling and wasn't having that puck possession like they have had in the, in the past and weren't making those plays that they were in the past. That's why the defense looked weaker to me, and it has looked better the last couple games. It's all on their offense. This entire team is based on them possessing the puck and their offense. Hmm. I love that, but I'm not going to lie. The last 15 seconds of it, I was just sitting there thinking, who's Tyron Matthew? Is it Morgan Riley or is it Rasmus Sandin? I honestly, George, I love Do you get the parallel? No, no. Like the Leafs defense is designed a specific way, and it's not the way that the Habs won last year to get to the cup final where their defense is big and it's mean. This isn't this blue line. It's designed to get the puck up to their forwards as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a very very apt comparison and you're right. When this when this this team even even the Vegas game, they're up to nothing and I'm sitting there going hockey is just such a dumb sport that you're a bounce away, one bad defensive possession for lack of a better term away from this being a one goal game and the fact that I'm thinking that about a team that was playing as well as the Leafs are kind of tells you everything you need to know about their defense. You're right. There is not there is not a vintage Chris Pronger, Scott Stevens, you know, pick your kind of de facto, you know, just rugged defenseman back there. That, that guy's not on this team. They do not exist. Jake Muzzin's the closest thing, and he better stay at home right now because anytime he wanders, it's not not good for him or the team. I really do like that comparison, and yeah, it, it is not at all lost on me that the fact that this Leafs team is now looking better and boy the forwards are scoring and the stretch passes are being connected all of a sudden we have a lot more faith in the decor the one thing I will add to that is that I think and I don't want to make this about Justin Hall because I think he struggled because of his partner as well but it's not lost on me that you get Justin Hall out of the lineup and you have Timothy Lilligren in there with Rasmus Sandin and not to say that they are dominating when they're out there but it's just a duo that is much more comfortable kind of playing that puck possession style that the Leafs like they're that they know each other well enough to be comfortable to go for a bit of a skate and jump in the rush and it's it's not lost on me that you have another defenseman who kind of plays a little bit more of that game in, in Lilligren there and he's confident with Sandine allowing him to be more of that guy so yeah I think that all just just echoes perfectly into the the comparison you laid out there because I really like it I think uh, Jack Campbell's the honey badger because he has to make mm. up. He's like the last line of defense. Okay, if something goes goes awry. Is Tyron Matthew famously nice? That to literally every person oh. in the world. That's the that's the only problem with Jack Campbell being compared He's to anybody. Issues. It's like I off the yeah, field. I know. It's like I feel like unless we're comparing him to like Mister Rogers, we can't compare Jack Campbell to anybody. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, even that guy. Who knows? Maybe he had some skeletons. 
talking about Mr. Rogers, not Jack Campbell. Again, we we have no idea, but if you've seen uh, the It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, the Tom Hanks movie, Mm. uh, have you seen that one? I have not. uh, Somehow, uh, Tom Hanks playing a guy who I watched on TV when I was like six just didn't didn't get into my uh, my IMDb okay, Rolodex fine. there. I guess you don't like good movies. You should mm. see that. It's very okay. good. I I am a lover of I, film, so maybe I'll have to I, check it out. But now sports I would are even back. say I have to wait till ba- I have to wait till summer. Yeah, it's it's maybe borderline excellent. It's wow. very good. Okay. Yeah. In. It gets you in the feels. Mm. Right? Gets you in the okay. feels. All right. Right in the feels. I I have been um, told there's just like a cold blackened mass on the left side of my chest but maybe maybe we'll be able to find some feelings in there who knows yeah maybe some feels uh when it comes to that um the nfl and we're going to talk more leafs with justin cuthbert in about 10 minutes covers the maple leafs for yahoo sports what a crazy 48 hours it's been in the national football league i can't think of at least recently a just crazier news cycle uh we hear that derrick henry's gone for at least six to eight to ten weeks we don't really know with a broken foot the just horrific tragedy of henry ruggs the third being just a complete irresponsible knucklehead and taking the life of a 23 year old and her dog in the middle of the night twice over the legal limit just an awful awful horrific story there and then the Aaron Rodgers situation now this one's very fascinating to me because uh, there are quarterbacks playing in the NFL right now, Brent. Don't know if you knew this, uh, that are unvaccinated, right? Surprises You're me here. Yeah, I am aware, but it still surprises me. But yes. Yeah, like uh, uh, Kirk Cousins is unvaccinated. Oh, well, um, believe me. We all, we all heard. Yeah. Carson Wentz is unvaccinated, right? There, I believe there's it's some a quarterbacks personal choice for him. That's right. Personal choice. Now, this Aaron Rodgers situation is fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know if you follow Dr. David Chow on Twitter, the pro football doc. Wonderful follow. Great follow. Pictures of his family as well. Little, little bit of you know, just a little, little parsley on the on the football dish, if you will. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it helps out your breath. Um, He's super smart and is an actual medical professional. And the media, and we're all guilty of this. it's it's difficult and it's a dangerous thing when you make assumptions, right? Because Aaron Rodgers was asked in training camp whether or not he was vaccinated, and he said he was immunized, which isn't the same thing. So I'm like, what's the difference between being vaccinated and immunized? Well, I watched Dr. David Chow's reaction to that today, and let's play a little clip for you right now, Brent, and we'll talk about what Dr. David Chow said. Here it is on Sportsnet tonight. The vax vaccination is the act of introducing a vaccine into the body to produce immunity for a specific disease. Whereas immunization is a process where someone becomes immune or resistant to a disease, and that can be through vaccination or other ways. There are in theory some other fringe treatments out there and otherwise unproven, that would make you more immune. But it seems like Aaron Rodgers answered the question in his way and did not technically lie, but media took it to mean he was vaccinated. There you go. Your thoughts on that explanation from Dr. David Chow, an actual doctor. 
uh, well, my my first actual thought on it is anytime you have to use the word technically lie, I don't know. You're probably not in the all the way right there. I guess is like my first immediate first blush reaction. No, there was there was no technical lie. Oh, well, then he must be off scot free and there's nothing to see here like that. That is my first reaction. I understand what happened. And I think that as reporters and not that you or I or that we are bloviators and, and yakkers. But I think reporters do have a, di- a duty to get things right and not rush to conclusions, especially mm-hmm. with something that can impact a season the way Aaron Rodgers. Rogers health and or availability can but I also think it's a complete kind of dick move on Aaron Rodgers part to try to um, willfully skirt the whole truth is that a fair way to put it ah see this is tough for me uh, because I know I've I've talked to you about this Mm -hmm. I am fully vaccinated Uh, and if you choose not to get if yeah that's great if you choose not I can't that's your body. It's literally your body, your choice. I can't. I am no way. I'm just a Dumbo sports talk host like you, Brent. Uh, and it's funny how a lot of our colleagues pretend like they went to school for virology, which they didn't. I can guarantee you they didn't. Um, maybe Stephen Brunt because he's super stark. But he's outside so, of Stephen, Stephen Brunt is actually the one guy. Like we have to he, draw a line there. Maybe he went to school for virology. I don't know, but I doubt it. Um, the reason why I think Aaron Rodgers skirted that issue and maybe didn't want the vaccine. Oh, and by the way, uh, number one, players in the NFL, Brent, don't need to be vaccinated to play. They need to follow specific protocols, wearing masks and being tested daily, which apparently Aaron Rodgers was doing with the Packers. So he didn't break any protocols and he didn't have to be vaccinated. He just said he was immunized and there's a difference, right? Which Dr. David Chow just beautifully explained for all of us. I think part of the reason why, and if you follow Andrew Brandt, who was his former, uh, he's the one who discovered him, former former uh, player personnel guru at the Packers said that he just doesn't want the criticism. And I think maybe he skirted this issue is because he just didn't want the blowback on social media. It was already bad enough that all the attention was on him coming back to the Packers. I just didn't think he wanted this on top of it all. Was it a half lie? Probably. Did the media get it wrong? Well, now we know they did. It's just a weird situation. I think he just wanted to be out of the spotlight when it comes to this, and he didn't want his decision to be blown up all over the place, which it would have been. I guess the thing I would say to that is I understand not wanting to be in the spotlight. And I understand not wanting the blowback. I I honestly do. I I can understand Aaron Rodgers going, look, I don't want to deal. I I get it. I I honestly do. But you're not a guy. You're not even an interior lineman. Sorry, no shots at our guards and nose tackles out there. You're the quarterback for maybe the most public team in the NFL. You're Aaron Rodgers. You're a guy who likes to be opinionated and speak on things and wants the spotlight. And with an issue that is literally all-encompassing the globe, I don't think you should be getting cute with your answers about it and not wanting the spotlight. I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I truly do. But I think that to act like, well, he just did, well, he, too bad. He wants to host Jeopardy, and he wants to be a quarterback in the NFL. There's responsibilities, or at the very least, pressures that, that come along with that. So that that's where I my pushback goes to it. Not not to you, but uh, to, to Aaron right. Rodgers. No, I, I get it, but again, it's not mandatory. 
Well, and again, this is where I cut, like, this is where See? you're asking me. Every league in the world should stand up and make it mandatory. So sure. am I just, oh, if you, if you would like me to unload the clip on the NFL, no problems doing that as well. But, uh, you know, I, we're talking about Rodgers here. The league's problem led to the or the league's lack of a policy led to this. So, yes, blame squarely at the NFL's feet as well. And again, it's it's weird how people react to specific things. And it's a lot different. And obviously, it's disappointing because we all wanted to see the Chiefs and Packers this Sunday. And he's eligible to return on November 13th. But what if this happened in January, Brent, on the eve of the NFC Championship game? Like, that, that could happen now. Even if you're fully vaxxed, uh, you have to have two negative COVID tests 48 hours before game time. So that still could happen. But when I hear, you know, what if this was in January? Well, that could still happen to anybody. Like if whoever is fully vaccinated or not fully vaccinated, you can still get COVID and then you can't play unless you show two negative tests. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the thing I would say back to that is you're right. But by getting the vaccine, it increases your chances of not doing that and the thing that i've said a billion times about this with everything is these guys will line up for toradol shots or whatever it is and all of a sudden this is the one i will i will now hop off my soapbox but that's the reason why specifically with that league it's a little yeah. hard for me to to, to listen and, to all this and i know the difference and i know the difference it's if you're unvaccinated you cannot you have to quarantine for 10 days in the nfl and you can't be around the team if you're vaccinated you need to show two negative tests within 48 hours, and then you're allowed back. That's the difference between being vaxxed and unvaxxed. And so, to, me, yes, to, to me, that just sounds like a guy who, again, like you can throw all the political or belief stuff onto it as well because, hey, that's part of it. It matters. But that, in just pure football speak, is not a guy willing to do what it takes to give his team the best possible chance to win, in my opinion. Okay. But it's also him hot. deciding whether or not to put medicine into his body. Like I, it's tough, right? Yeah, but but, but it, okay. Let's just use the hypothetical that he needed a painkilling shot, and he said, "You know what? I don't trust it." What would the NFL media be saying about a guy if in that scenario, I don't trust it, and now they can't play because they? I, I understand that it's not a complete apples Oof. to apples comparison, but no, no, honestly, right. like if it's a pick, pick a guy, just some generic Derrick Henry, his foot is nearly healed. And this painkilling injection will allow him to play in week 17 or in the wild card round or whatever it may be. And he says, no, I, I actually just don't feel like I should do that. Would we all be sitting here talking about his personal choice or would we be killing him for not wanting to help his team win? And th that's that's the pressures of professional sports, right? That uh, it, there's it, there's so many layers to this that it's just super fascinating to me how people reacting all over North America on the news that Aaron Rodgers is going to be sitting out this week's game against the Chiefs because of COVID-19. We obviously hope uh, best of health for Aaron Rodgers and he doesn't have any long-term effects uh, because of this because COVID-19 is not, uh, it's no joke. It is it is a super serious virus. So we'll talk to Dom Cosentino, the senior features writer for The Score. He'll join us at 8.30. We'll dive into this topic, look around week nine of the National Football League. But straight ahead, more Leafs talk. Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs for Yahoo Sports. He'll join us next. It's Sportsnet tonight. Guns and George. Sportsnet 590, the fan. As an unlicensed doctor, we suggest a prescription for one of our shows. Sign up for our free podcast at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Fake doctor's orders. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand.
Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russick, Brent Gunning here. Until the end of the Raptors game in Washington against the Wizards, then William Liu takes over for the Raptors Reaction Podcast. He'll take your phone calls, too. Raptors in the second quarter right now. The top of the next hour, Danny Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, co-host of the Wake and Rake Podcast, will join us at 8 o'clock. Alex Anthopoulos is a World Series champion, which is awesome. Now the offseason begins, and there's the threat of another work stoppage in Major League Baseball. Good Lord, please. Please, no work stoppage. <laughs> Not the fact that we're going to miss baseball. It's just I don't want to talk about it, Brent, Like just from a selfish reason. I don't want to talk about anything when it comes to labor negotiations in Major League Baseball. There's You're nothing me- worse in sports radio than talking about labor unrest in professional sports. You're telling me this doesn't just like get you just vimmed up with vigor and excitement if you hear it when you're yeah. cruising around? Well, actually, the escrow percentage to the players' union would oh be up God. by 4.2% on this proposal. No, we can't do it. We cannot no. do it. I just want to talk about Hot Stove and Robbie Ray yeah. winning the Cy Young because I have a bet on it. Those are the only yeah. things I want to talk about this offseason. And I don't want to hear things like this is the hill they're going to die on. I don't want to hear any of that nonsense. <laughs> I just want to hear. Just do it. If you're going to die on the hill, just go just die, die on, on the like, don't hill. Don't make already. me hear about it. Just die on it. Uh, I want to see the Blue Jays get either a third baseman or a second baseman or a shortstop. Just do something. Do something. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, we've kept them way too long. Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the NHL for Yahoo Sports. He joins us. Justin, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Uh, good to be on with at least one more. Robbie Ray sung better. Oh, look at you. Yeah, when did you get Robbie Ray? Now, now you got now you have my interest peaked. When did you make that bet? Uh, I'm not clairvoyant in any way, but right before uh, Garrett Cole seemed to go off the cliff a little bit late in the season. <laughs> so what did you get him at? What odd? I think it was plus 350. Okay, it's not bad. Not bad. I, got plus, I got plus 260, and I placed that bet as Garrett Cole limped off the mound at Yankee Stadium against the Jays because I'm a bad person. No, I mean... That's the time to do it. I'm surprised they were still up at that time. Uh, Brent, you're not a bad person. That's a business decision. Um, All right, there we go. Justin, uh, we were talking about Mitch Marner, and I get it. Austin Matthews is the most important player on the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I've said this many times before, Justin. Mitch Marner's the engine, and when he's going, this is just a different team. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that because I think he sort of wears the emotional thing more than any anyone else at least on the Leafs and and we talked about this a lot the emotional aspect of losing as much as they have and the criticism that's been on this team and the situation they find themselves in but I think when he's going that emotion swings and we hear the Leafs talk all the time about how you know this is such a great guy around the room and such an important piece and someone that just is uh, his energy energy is is you know spreads across the team when it's there and so for that reason alone, there's probably not much of a coincidence that it's it, it sort of jives with wins and losses, I guess, for the Maple Leafs. But, uh, you know, the first week, 10 days of the season for Mitch Marner were obviously pretty dark. Looks like he's turned that around, and now the wins are start, starting to come. So I, I do think it's it's related in, in a – I don't know if it's a direct correlation, but certainly uh, it's, it's uh, one and the same. 
Yeah, and I, I agree with all that. And I think the other thing about Marner too, and you know, I I don't I wish I had a kind of less harsh word for this, but it feels like when things aren't going well for him, he's the guy who wears it the most. There's almost a bit of and again, I wish I had a different word of of sulking, of pouting. I don't think it's that, but it's just he's very apparent of what's going on and he wears it on his sleeve and it just feels to me like not only are you, you know, adding an invigorated superstar to your team when he finally turns it on and gets it going like he has, but you also kind of remove potentially any of that the the other elements of that. You know, when you're when you're looking at the top 6, you know, you and I talked about this heading into the season. I think that this is going to be something that's going to be flip-flop two, three, four more times, but in a perfect world, what is the best, you know, setup of those top six wingers? You know, as much as I like Matthews and Marner's together or Marner together, I think that Marner and Tavares is more special than Marner and Matthews. And I feel like Nylander just clicks a little more cleanly with Matthews. What do you think the best way to set up the top four is with the, or the you know, the top four forwards with the understanding that it's going to get flipped a bunch of times throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually not convinced it's going to be flipped too much. I feel like... Um they've sort of found something and I think they're going to stick with it as long as it works. I don't really see this not working. Uh, But I think one key factor is John Tavares, right? I mean, you know, it's sort of taboo to criticize him in any way. And he certainly had a really nice run here over the last three, four five games. Um, But who out of him, out of Matthews and him needs more help? Well, the answer is obvious. It's John Tavares. And I think Mitch Marner can be that guy and be a perfect compliment uh, for John Tavares. When William Nylander is a guy who's starting to do things, um, you know, starting to dominate by himself in situations and can be that compliment to Austin Matthews if I think they have the right winger in place there. And I think that right winger should be, or left winger in this case, should be Michael Bunting. I think he brings the energy that those two guys can feed off of. But, you know, I don't know if the partnership will be as prolific as it was when John Tavares had a career high in goals, I believe, in his first season with Mitch Marner riding shotgun. But I feel like those two can maybe pull the best out of each other in that Tavares is a little bit more you know what you're going to get from shift to shift. You know exactly what he's going to do. He's trying to get you the puck, and Mitch Marner can, in, in turn, help John Tavares be a more productive player. And I think that's why where it's at right now might be the best in the situation, even though we were just marveling at how wonderful uh, Matthews and Marner were together last season. Justin, John Tavares is never going to skate like William Nylander, and that's obviously something that just can't happen. But we saw Tavares last year, especially early on, uh, looked a lot quicker, and that kind of went away as the season went along. Where are you at with John Tavares's speed so far this year, coming back from that just horrific injury he suffered in the playoffs? Yeah, you're right. He did look like he was shot out of the cannon a little bit to start, and then it faded, and, and I, I feel like I, I'm seeing the same thing with a player who's just, you know, he's working very hard to keep up to, with the game. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just have to work a little bit harder than a, a Mitch Marner and an Austin Matthews who fly around the offensive zone without really putting in that effort. It's something John Tavares is obviously going to have to keep top of mind, keep working on. I mean, they got the best skating coach in the business, who I'm sure he's going to see plenty of times, and we've seen work with Barb Underhill plenty of times over the course of his tenure here, but that should be in his you know, training regimen, is working on that skating constantly because it's something he has to be conscious about when most of the best players in the world, most of the players that are earning upwards of $10, $11 million dollars, I mean, that's something that comes completely natural to them. It's something that's, it's, it's always going, it's going to be an issue for the rest of his career here in Toronto. It's something he has to address and continue to address. Uh, And at times it looks a little ugly, but at times when the efficiency is there, it doesn't really matter. And if the efficiency is there, if the economy of movement is there for John Tavares, 
and he looks like a Donovan, Donovan player, but if he's not quite, you know, it's not quite as efficient and he's thinking a little bit more, sometimes he looks like he's stuck in the mud a little bit. So that's, that's something that's always going to have to be there for Tavares, and, and I, I don't think it's going away. And I'm not necessarily sure it's going to get decidedly worse. It's just going to be something that comes and goes and, and sometimes looks bad and sometimes isn't an issue. Yeah, the the other thing with it, too, is when we think of, you know, especially, you know, all of us who grew up with the kind of legend that was John Tavares in, in Ontario, and he's 15 and playing in the O, and he's trying to get drafted into the NHL early. And, you know, when we think of those players, I mean, right now you close your eyes and you think of Connor McDavid, the best skater on the planet. It's just kind of a really interesting spot for a guy who holds the place in the game that, that a guy like Tavares does for it to be the actual movement, that, that it's kind of the one thing that, that's holding him back a, a, a little bit. I'll, I'll stick with the forwards. You know, a guy who's found a spot next to next to Tavares right now is Alex Kerfoot. You know, I've always maintained that so long as the Leafs weren't just going to say, hey, you're the third-line center, go be a checker for us, I think there's a guy who can be really effective. I've really liked his game over, over the past handful of them. It was hard to like anybody's game on this team but before that. What have you made a Kerfoot start to the season? Yeah, I'm with you. I think he's in the right spot. And really, I think the Leafs have chosen the best six forwards that they have or the best six forwards working right now to play in the top six and log those major minutes. I'm not sure Kerfoot really deserved the promotion he got when you know everything sort of moved around with Nick Ritchie. Uh, but this is probably the best place for him in the lineup. I think I'm with you. I think he's looked really, really good and really comfortable with those two players. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the most effective thing from a cost, um, cost-effective standpoint, I guess. Having $3.5 million to be sort of that complementary piece, I think he's paid to be that third-line center. But he didn't do exactly what Sheldon Keefe wanted out of a third line, which is to anchor, if you're the centerman, a checking line. And this, is a, this goes back to the start of last year where it was clear that Keefe wanted one thing. He wanted a checking unit so that he could free up the top six for matchups. Austin Matthews and now William Nylander are playing against the best line. And John Tavares and Mitch Marner, the secret to their success over the past three games has been that they've taken on pretty weak competition. Now that was for everyone against Vegas, but Tavares and and Marner were out there against Mitchell Stevens primarily and Carter Rowney uh, in that win over Detroit. And they were dominant against those players because those are replacement level bottom six players. If they get what they want, they get a mismatch in their top six, and that's only done if you have a good checking line that can shut down the competition on the other side. And so far, David Camp and Andre Kasha have been able to do that. Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the NHL for Yahoo Sports. Joining us here on Sportsnet tonight, it's George and Brent. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Heard a stat heading into last night's game. Teams that have at least 10 points, 10 games into the season, make the playoffs 90% of the time. So, Justin, this is a, now a lock to make the playoffs for the Maple Leafs, right? Well, I mean, stats are nice, but uh, I don't even think this team has an impressive win yet, if I'm being honest. I think they still have a lot to prove. If you look at all their wins, I mean, we're talking about Chicago, Ottawa, Montreal. Those are some of the worst teams in the league. And the only team that's considered, you know, what we'd expect uh, a playoff team to look like, the Vegas Golden Knights looks good on paper. But as we know, that was basically the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, on or last night so I still think they're waiting for that moment to show that they can be that team that we expect them to be I think they've got two opportunities here this this coming week with Boston and Tampa Bay you know I I do believe and I always have believed that this is a playoff team but I, I I think this has been more of a morale boost than a position or a platform to prove themselves and and state their intentions as back as one of the elite teams in the NHL 
I love that you just referred to it as a morale boost because, I mean, personally, that's what it's felt like for me. I can only imagine how it feels inside that room. Is there a world where they, I mean, yes, there's absolutely, I'll answer the first part of this question. Yes, there's a world where they come back to earth in terms of their play against Tampa tomorrow night. But is there a world where a rough couple games against Tampa or Boston or even just walking away without any points there, it kind of sends this team right back to where they were before that Chicago game? Uh, definitely. I mean, back to the first point, it's the mental fragility with this team. They don't, they, they, you could see maybe they're working out of this a little bit with the way that they've played but we've seen them fall back into the trap constantly. We've seen them lose their, I don't want to say focus, but, and I don't even want to say confidence either, but just their, their, their belief that they're going to come through and pull through things. We've seen it come and go. We've seen it wane. We've seen it dissipate very, very quickly. So if it doesn't go right against Tampa and Boston, I don't think they're going to be fooling themselves about who they've beaten the last week. And then we might see the team that needs a little bit of a, an emotional boost yet again, and this might be the entire cycle, the entire season before we get to the playoffs. I said, I, I believe with you and dis- when we were discussing the prospects of this season, I mean, fighting to get in the playoffs might be the best thing. And it might be put them, put them in the best position to actually have success in the playoffs because the expectation won't be as strong. So maybe, maybe that's what they need. Maybe they need to grind this season. Maybe they need to go through this roller coaster up and down. And maybe that puts them in the best position. Honestly, there there have been far crazier theories about the Leafs. Uh, definitely some coming out of my mouth than, than them having to grit and grind their way into a playoff spot would actually be uh, a good thing for them. Uh, when looking at the blue line for this team, obviously it's been a big topic of conversation with the slow start for Muzzin and Hall. Riley gets his big new deal. I'm really, really liking that that Swedish third pair with, with Sandin and Lilligren. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different uh, kind of threads to pull at when it comes to the decor. What's the biggest thing kind of standing out to you, either good or bad? Bad. it's probably that travis dermott and, and justin hall seem to be sort of uh in a position where they have to prove that they earn a place or they, that they deserve a place in this roster but that it's not necessarily convincing sheldon keith I, I just to me it feels like neither of them are going to be acceptable to him moving forward i mean he gets they get put in the position where they can you know they have an opportunity to prove themselves but the, the leash seems to be pretty short, at least it is now, it seems, on Justin Hall after a really difficult start. I think he's very happy with that Swedish third pair, as you mentioned. Um, but as I said, with Mitch Marner and John Tavares feasting against Detroit, I mean, they have been sort of moving in lockstep with that line a lot of the times, and they've been so dominant at the offensive zone that Liljegren and Sandin have had that ability to you know, play sheltered minutes in the offensive zone. So things are going to get a little bit more difficult for them as well. But it looks like they only have two defensemen that they can really, really rely on right now. That's Morgan Riley and TJ Brody, and they've had to separate them in order to get the best out of their four uh, or their top four. So I think the defense is is the one thing that is you know the biggest concern probably. Uh, I think it's a work in progress. I think if there's any move at any point, it's probably to solidify that defensive core, and that's not a great position. It just seems like it has never been. Uh, it just, just seems like it's been a little disconnected always. Like they just don't, they're just missing one piece. And it definitely feels like that more than it has in recent seasons uh, this year for me. Um, Justin, uh, before I let you go, uh, Arne Kiprios is reporting that the Leafs and Kyle Dubas have been talking to Jack Campbell about potentially a contract extension. What happens first, the Jack Campbell contract extension or the Jack Eichel trade? Ooh, I think it's got to be the Jack Eichel trade. I mean, okay. I, I saw a report about what Buffalo might be getting in return from Calgary, and I don't know how that trade isn't done right now uh, nope. based on based on that package. 
uh, with Jack Campbell, I just think it is a little tricky. I think I, I think they know that they want him to be the number one goaltender, or at least the one A out of a one B, one A, one B pairing. Um, but it's difficult because money's difficult right now, and they're paying a backup three point eight million dollars uh, for the next several seasons. Uh, I just think that negotiation is going to be tricky, even when both sides clearly want this union to continue. Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the NHL for Yahoo Sports. Justin, always great stuff. Thanks for this. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, um, when you're training for a guy in Jack Eichel who they might have to name a surgery after, I'd be a little nervous if I'm the team acquiring him. I, I'd i be nervous, too. Like it, it, I, I can't sit here. Again, I, to, to go back to the Aaron Rodgers conversation, cannot sit here with the certainty that a Dr. David Chow could about what exactly that entails, but I keep going back to it. The, the 32 Thoughts podcast, they had a great podcast with, uh, again, some doctor, uh, you know, more qualified than me, that have walked through the procedure and all the people in other sports who have had it, power lifters, rugby players, you know, things that made me confident uh, that he could do it. But, yeah, definitely fair to be to be scared off by it and for it to be a no-fly zone. I, I get that. But if I am an NHL GM, I, I would be pulling the trigger on that that deal if it was available to me. Yeah, um it literally, he would be the first in the big four major sports to get it. That type yep. of surgery. So that's some serious stuff. And I'm trying to look up who the second guy was. Because Tommy John, it's obviously uh, <laughs> named after him originally. I was just thinking, who's the second guy who got it? Because it's like, that sucks. Mm. Like, Tommy John was the original, and everybody calls it Tommy John surgery. Like, if you were like... Steve Johnson, the guy who's like the second guy who got it. You're like, man, I was so close to everybody talking about me all the time for the rest of eternity. Nope, I was the nope. second guy who got Tommy John surgery. <laughs> That's a great point. I I honestly hadn't hadn't thought about that. That suck. It, it it could be worse though. This could be like the old Norm Macdonald uh, Lou Gehrig disease bit, right? Like you know, on the other hand, you if you just don't have the surgery named after you, it means maybe you didn't have to have it. So that's that's the only <laughs> other side of it. But if you're the sure. second guy, just yeah. brutal. Yeah, it is brutal because it's like Jack Eichel. Uh, if this is successful, and it's going to be called like forever and all these other sports where they literally put a uh, replace a disc in your back and put a fake disc in your back. It's like oh, you got Jack Eichel surgery. Like Listen in the to NFL. This. Oh. Oh, this quarterback has to get Jack Eichel surgery. There you go. I am now all the way upset for the second guy who got Tommy John surgery because our wonderful crack staff behind the glass informed me that his name was Brent Strong. Like, there could have been a Brent yeah, surgery there you go. out there. And now now I'm all the way. I, yeah. I'm gutted. Brent Strong, if you're out there listening somehow, some way, yeah. I feel for you, buddy. And it's not just because your name is Brent, although like, that's pretty much mostly it. I, I like a lot of dumb sports facts like that because I pride myself on that because I think they're fun to bring up. But, like, nobody knows who that guy is now. But everybody knows who Tommy John was. I already forgot his name. Baseball. But, like, it could have been Brent Strom surgery. Could have. Oh, man. But it's not. Would that have been good or bad for me? I don't know. I feel like Brent, like, it's, it's a low-key enough name. I don't need it being more famous than it is. That's kind of my thought. I'm just trying to think of famous Brents. There aren't. We Brent Butt from yeah, uh, like, Corner Gas fame. Great, great. Is he really famous though? Exa- well, exactly, right? Uh, I'm, I'm literally Googling famous Brent right now, and uh, it's not great. One? No, it's just like, ah, oh, there was a Canadian-born missionary who was a bishop. I'm like, come on, come on. Give me something better than that. Give me something exciting. There's there was no, a guy like, in the actors. Like, there was a guy in the 40s who was a, who was a singer. Bix Brent, apparently. Oh, George, how... Like, for shame on us, Brent Musburger. 
Yeah. Okay. He's pretty famous. He's pretty famous. Uh, yeah. Like it. Like my dad watched a lot of Brent Musburger. <laughs> I and just he, I cannot I cannot see him without without thinking of uh, AJ McCarron's uh, girlfriend Brent Seabrook. Uh, what else? Uh, we Brent got? Spiner, who was on uh, Star Trek. Brent Burns. Data. We got Brent Burns. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Brent Sutter. Yeah, he's another one. I think we're looking at the same list. <laughs> Brent Johnson. Yeah, these, yeah that's yeah. They, they've, now we're really Brent no Hayden, Canadian Olympian. There we go. There we go. Um, no, it's not, it's not yeah. a famous name. It's really not. I, hey, I still got time. Maybe. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. I feel like almost sounded po- like you believe it. I feel like at this point, Brent, for you to be famous, you'd have to do something infamous. That's a great point, actually. You know what? Uh, yeah. I am perfectly fine. Let's just keep this level of infamy where yeah. I have just under 1,000 yeah. Twitter followers and not really anyone knows who I am. I'm actually uh, – yeah. re- delete all of that from the pod. I have no desire to be famous because it's almost certainly going to be in a terrible way. So, yeah, let's, yeah, not that I would do anything terrible, yeah. but just let's, let's not. It's true. Uh, none of us are uh, well-known on this radio station. There was only one famous person who ever worked for this radio – well, a couple, uh, Dan Showman. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Bob McCowan, right? Yes. Ken Daniels too, pretty famous. I got to meet him. I was down at I was down at the the Wings of the Leafs game and he came into the booth while I was doing the pregame show with Gord Stellick and just started handing out old newspapers. It was just the the most this is radio personified old moment of newspapers. my career. Yeah, with pictures of Gord Stellick on them. It was awesome. Oh, that's that's weird. Okay. It was it was a little it was a little weird, but it was more awesome yeah. than weird. I, I would imagine it is. Uh, straight ahead, Danny uh, Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast, will join us. We can finally look at the baseball offseason. What are some names the Blue Jays potentially could be targeting? And where are we at, seriously, with a potential work stoppage? Because that would really suck. And Dom Cosentino, senior features writer for The Score, will join us at 8.30. That's a very, very famous and very nice man, Brent Gunning. My name is George Russick, Sportsnet Tonight, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. This ain't like when you're at a game and sign up for a credit card just to get the prize and then you immediately cancel the credit card. Because there's no prize when you sign up for our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russick, Brent Gunning here. Bottom of the hour, Dom Cosentino, senior features writer for The Score. We'll look around week nine of the National Football League. What a crazy 48-hour news cycle in the National Football League. We'll dive in with Dom Cosentino at the top of the next hour. Ryan Dixon, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. We're on until the end of the Raptors. Whiz game. Raptors have a lead right now at the half. William Liu will have the Raptors reaction podcast. He's also taking your phone calls after the final buzzer in D.C. But right now, baseball ended its season last night with the Atlanta Braves winning their first world championship since 1995. To talk about that and to look around the baseball offseason, Dom Cosentino is a senior features writer. Oh, excuse me. He's coming up. Danny Vietti is an MLB writer for CBS Sports and co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast. Danny, good evening. How are you? Uh, A little bittersweet. Baseball season's over, but what a heck of a season it was. Yeah, it was uh, indeed, and we're all proud. We're all beaming here. Uh, Canadian Alex Anthopoulos uh, gets did his it. world title. He did it. He absolutely did it. Uh, he didn't leave the Blue Jays, Danny. 
in the best circumstances, but a lot of people in this market who are listening right now have a soft spot for Alex Anthopoulos. And just talk about the incredible job that guy did at the trade deadline when maybe we weren't paying attention to what he did for the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I almost feel like I'm not in position to hype up or celebrate the Braves. And I've said this a few times now because I am 100% guilty of when Ronald Acuna went down with his torn ACL, I said, let's wave the white flag if you're Atlanta. This isn't your season. You lost Ronald Acuna now. You lost your ace in Mike Soroka. You lost all-star, all-star Marcelo Zuna earlier in the year due to domestic violence. You lost three all-stars. And Alex Anthopoulos said, that's all right. We got a squad. We got a, a division that's winnable. Let's go actually acquire players. Uh, there were MLB executives that called Atlanta after the Acuna injury. And they said, okay, who do you have available, Alex? And Alex said, no, 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 no. We're not selling. We're buying here. He went out and got guys like Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler. And not only did he get these guys, he got them for pennies on the dollar. He did not give up any of his top prospects. Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP. He got guys that weren't your headliners necessarily, but he completely restructured his outfield within a week, it seemed like. And they went from 88 wins. They had the 12th best record in baseball. And here they are in November hoisting the trophy. It's a remarkable story and so many likable figures on that roster. It's hard not to be happy for guys like Freddie Freeman. Uh, Max Freed was phenomenal in Game Six. A lot of a lot of likable dudes. Alex Anthopoulos right at the uh, right at the front of that list. Yeah, and of course for us up here, you mentioned Freeman. He's played for Canada, the World Baseball Classic. I know he was hurt, so he wasn't really a part of this all. But Soroka as well, and then yeah, Anthopoulos there. So it does have a a bit of a feeling of a of a kind of local team. You know, you you highlighted this on Twitter. They talked about it a ton during during the broadcast during the World Series itself, but. You know, we're, we're excited that Alex Anthopoulos, a Canadian, you know, wins the World Series in Atlanta. I can only imagine what it feels like for Atlanta baseball fans, obviously, to win the title. But to have Dansby Swanson, maybe not as much at the center of it as you would have thought for a number one overall pick. But, you know, I believe he was he was born in the shadow of the, or, you know, grew up in the shadow of the stadium now. And, of course, he was the number one overall pick for this team. He, he makes the final out. Just Just what a cool story for him. Yeah, it's crazy. You might think number one overall pick, he'd be uh, a little bit more hype, I guess, because he truly has been a, a really good player for Atlanta for a couple of years now. He got traded away from Arizona, uh, and uh, they obviously won that trade. He was in that Shelby Miller trade back when he was still in the minors. And, yeah, what a player he's turned out to be. And He's kind of said himself, he's an Atlanta kid. I grew up 10 to 15 miles away from where Truist Park now is in, in, in Atlanta. Uh, grew up obviously playing Little League for Marietta Little League. And uh, it's kind of funny because the whole the, – the cloud that's been over Atlanta sports fans for a few years now, the 28-3 to score, the 3-1 to series loss to the Dodgers last year, the Georgia-Alabama game in the college football <laughs> playoff. These are massive leads, and they've lost them all. And I, I, I just – got to feel for them. But now, and Dansby Swanson mentioned it yesterday after the game, he said it almost felt like destiny. Dansby was actually at that 28-3 game when Atlanta blew that lead to New England. He was in the Super, he was at the Super Bowl, and that Super Bowl took place in Houston. So winning the World Series in Houston uh, against Houston, very, you know, my, a couple miles away from that Houston Super Bowl, he said it felt like destiny. So maybe the curse is over in Atlanta. I, I, I certainly feel like it is. 
Danny, how tough was it to be rooting for Dusty Baker to win a World Series, but then rooting for the Houston Astros at the same time? <laughs> yeah, it, it's complicated, right? Uh, it, it, that, I think it, it's easy to root for Dusty, and truly before this sign-stealing scandal, I think a lot of people have forgotten that it was really easy to root for the Astros at one time. Certainly after the scandal, it, it's a bit more uh, – uh, a little bit rickety, if you will um, – but there's a lot of likable guys on the Houston team before the scandal. I mean, Jose Altuve, very genuine, undersized. He signed out of Venezuela for $10,000 and ended up becoming an MVP candidate. Carlos Correa, he brings so much passion to the game. He's a villain, but he, he's almost a likable villain, at least for a lot of baseball fans, just with the, the drive and energy he brings to the game. Alex Bregman is just an absolute grinder. I could go name by name from that 2017 team. And they were so likable. And I think that's what hurt people the most from that scandal is myself included. A lot of people were just hurt. They, they felt like they were stabbed in the back with the scandal because they fell in love with a lot of those players. And so I think that's what hurt so much. And so seeing this team, and I, it's hard to root for them considering their past and, and their scandalous activities. But Dusty Baker is certainly a guy to root for. Over on the other side, you have guys like Ron Washington. You have to be happy for them. There's a lot of likable coaches involved. The Snicker, there was the Battle of the Snickers, Brian Snicker for Atlanta, and the Snicker over there in, in Houston, he's an assistant coach, uh, Brian Snicker's son. There was a lot of storylines going on, and a lot of people looked at this World Series. They saw Atlanta. They saw Houston. They weren't super hyped and excited about the matchup, but there were so many good storylines, and I think we got a hell of a series from it, and uh, it was quite exciting. I, I was definitely that guy at the start of the World Series. I was going, I didn't want this. I want a Red Sox-Dodgers. I wanted the Mookie Betts Bowl, and I, I ended up getting this, and this was pretty good. You know, you mentioned uh, Jose Altuve and Correa and Bregman. You know, I guess Correa is almost in certainty gone that this offseason, but how long does the stink hang around this team? Is it there until it's not those guys? Is it there 10 years beyond when it's those guys there? If even Dusty Baker couldn't, couldn't Febreze that, that stink out, I don't know how it goes away from from this team for obviously not people who are super involved with the game because I think they've been able to kind of get past it but I think for the the casual fan or somebody who hey the Astros are in town they're gonna be getting booed for forever at least as long as Altuve's there and Bregman's there in my opinion what do you think no you're absolutely right and unfortunately there are a lot of uninformed fans out there. There are a lot of very knowledgeable fans, don't get me wrong, but a lot of people that just read the headlines. And so there's going to be a lot of people for years to come. I mean, we're probably going to be here and hopefully we're here in 2055 or whenever it is. And people are going to say cheaters, cheaters, cheaters. When Bregman's long retired, Altuve's long retired, that's just going to happen. That's fans. That's fanatics. That's baseball. Uh, I think it's going to obviously stick with these individual players for the rest of their lives. It's part of their legacy now. Um, they kind of dug their own grave, no matter if Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa could wind up on a completely different team next year. He's going to hear it. It's always going to be attached to that name. Whether you think it's an asterisk, whether you think it's true, whatever you believe, it's always going to stick with them. Um, people know the context in which that championship was won, uh, whether you're an experienced fan or not. And uh, it shouldn't stick with guys like Dusty Baker because, obviously, he was not involved at all. And there are going to be the uninformed fans that continue to boo the Astros for years to come. Um, but these players, especially Altuve, Correa, Bregman, George Springer, it's going to stick with them for the rest of their lives. It's going to be attached to their name for the rest of their lives. And that's something they're just going to have to live with.
Danny Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast. Joining us here at Sportsnet tonight, George and Brent, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Uh, Danny, we're all excited for the Blue Jays' offseason because this team's on the cusp of, I think, doing something very special within the next few years. And if uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro make the right moves, I think this is a legitimate World Series contender next year. Uh, that all being said, where are we at with a work stoppage? Because that's all we're hearing now, that there's going to be labor unpe- uh, It's going to be labor issues between the players and the league, and we potentially could be heading here to another work stoppage. Lay it out for us, Danny. What are the chances we're going to have a work stoppage in Major League Baseball, in your opinion? Yeah, it, it, there's a lot up in the air right now, uh, a lot of uncertainty. And it sucks because I feel like we just did this last year during the pandemic, when we weren't sure if we were going to get a 162-game season, a 60-game season. We had no idea. And Major League Baseball and the Players Union just simply, they don't get along too well. And right now we're right back at it here, you know, a year later, a little bit more than a year later, and we're having to do this all over again. Right now, this is clearly speculative, but, um, you know, the chances of work stoppage I think are, are pretty high. Um, that's kind of the – the consensus around the league. Uh, there's a lot to be worked through, whether it's the universal DH, because the universal DH, that's just kind of one, um, one bullet point that's on this list. It's more complicated than just creating a rule. When you consider the universal DH, you have to consider it. It always comes down to this, especially with MLB owners is money. When you have a universal DH in a national league, you're now paying another player to be a prime time hitter. Um, instead of having your pitcher play two positions, essentially, now you're going to be playing 10 players in a starting lineup. You're not paying nine, you're paying 10. So it really comes down to money. So the owners, if they're going to accept that universal DH, they're going to want something from the players' union. It just goes back and forth. That, that's just kind of a microcosm of what is to expect. They're going to go back and forth. And I, I, I want to show optimism, and I want to be optimistic that there isn't going to be a stoppage. Um, but right now, I just can't confidently say because there's a lot up in the air and there's a lot just a lot of unknowns going into the offseason. Uh, this is I'm going to say this is a problem with baseball, but I mean, this is a problem in many walks of life. It's just it is so frustrating to hear from from you. And we're not just hearing it from you. We've heard it from a ton of people that, hey, here's this thing that would be pretty universally considered a good thing for the game. It would make it more entertaining. And well, we need to get a little something back on our end. Why? For making the product better? Like, I, I understand the negotiating position that gets taken there. But just that the, when you when you see it or hear it spelled out like that, it is just so unbelievably frustrating to me. The thing I've wondered about about this impending labor strife or however we want to word it is is there a world where a team can get aggressive with a player who is maybe you know predisposed to returning to a team or signing with the team and saying let's get this deal locked in before you know what the new economic landscape looks like because generally speaking when a union and an ownership group talk it doesn't get better for the players it almost always gets a little bit worse so I wonder you know I'll, I'll use the example of the Blue Jays here in Toronto they got two high profile guys in Simeon and Ray I think it's more likely Ray's back than Simeon could they go to a Robbie Ray and say hey Let's get this done now before you're looking at who knows what later on in the winter with a new landscape. Do you think that this could be used as a bit of a pressure point for, for teams to, to try to get something like that done? You know, that's a great question. I, I wish I had an answer for you. We've already seen moves so far. We saw the Detroit Tigers trade for Tucker Barnhart today. Obviously, free agency has not started. Um, 
I don't have a clear answer for you, to, to be completely honest there. Um, I will say, you know, I, I've talked with an MLB executive. Uh, he's told me, I, I understand the frustration when it comes to these negotiations because you have billionaires arguing with millionaires, and it just does not reside with most of us. We don't relate to that. And so I've had an MLB executive tell me that these owners are on another planet. You think these millionaire players uh, live in different worlds? These owners, they do not relate to these players. So when they're in these negotiations, the reason there, there are these standoffs and impasses is because they just they live in completely different worlds. Um, I had a, a guy last year, he told me that when the minor leaguers, they were struggling to get paid because they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't have a season. Um, and I asked, I said, well, what, what was your owner doing about it? What was his thoughts? And he straight up told me, he said, we, our owner had no idea what was happening in minor league baseball. He did not care. Um, he said if there wasn't a minor league season, it didn't bother him. It didn't really have much of an impact on his finances. So he did not care. That's just kind of uh, it gives you a picture, paints a picture of how these owners relate to players. If it doesn't affect them financially, it probably doesn't impact them, and it probably doesn't mean much for them. So it's probably not going to be at the forefront of their, those conversations. It really comes down to money. And unfortunately, I hate saying that. But it's always money. That's what it always comes down to. And I hate saying it's bad for the game. As you mentioned, it's terrible for the game. But it is business, and it's just a business league. Chris Rock said it best, uh, Danny, that uh, Shaq's rich, but the guy who signs Shaq's check <laughs> is wealthy. Uh, he said it the best. Um, uh, when it comes to uh, the Universal DH potentially being in the National League, is that going to water down free agency and how much money teams are going to spend on players now that there's that many more jobs opening up in the National League? Yeah, like I, like I said earlier, it really comes down to what the CBA um, comes down to because there are talks of, look, I, I doubt this happens, but there's talks of there possibly being a league minimum spend, uh, uh, salary floor. If you will, you know, we talk about salary caps, but there's a lot of desire for salary floor. Players want to be competitive. They don't want to sign with teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates if they're not going to be competitive. So to answer your question, it could impact it, certainly. But there's just so much up in the air right now. Hmm. There are certain teams that I'm looking at, though, like San Francisco Giants, San Diego Padres, teams that are looking to compete right now. And if they're looking to add another hitter to their lineup, they have money to spend. San Francisco Giants, unfortunately, they just had Buster Posey, who was expected to announce his retirement, according to Andrew Bagley of The Athletic. That's a, that's a tough blow. Buster Posey is having his best season since 2014, 2015. Um, that, that's, a t- that's, a, that's a big void to fill. But San Francisco is really interesting to me because if they're going to add a DH to their lineup, they could look to re-sign Chris Bryant. But if they're looking to add another hitter, that just lengthens that lineup, a lineup that led the league in home runs, led the National League in home runs this last season. That can make a huge impact on the league. And Atlanta Braves, another great example. They were great in Houston when they had that DH. They were able to utilize Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson in that lineup. It really just completely changes the landscape of the league, and it completely re, uh, changes the strategy of a lot of these National League GMs, guys like Alex Anthopoulos, Farhan Zaidi, Andrew Friedman. 
I just I, I I understand the debate is old and tired and we're all kind of sick of it. It's just I can't imagine even if you're, you know, and I, like you said, it worked out well for Atlanta. So I'm sure they love to see it. But it's just like you're a National League person. You, you, you live in a National League city. You watch the National League all the time. And then you're watching a game with DH is involved. And man, I don't have to watch this pitcher try to butt somebody over every <laughs> single time or not get hurt. Like I just I, I cannot believe we're living in a world where it's at all close to to a question. Um, I should probably get your take uh, on the local team here you know obviously Anthopolis went and did what he did in Atlanta there was a a lot of noise about the the front office group here in in Toronto now with the Jays before this season in terms of was the right call made blah 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 I think a lot of people think the right call definitely was was made now in terms of the the front office in place uh with all the young talent here in Toronto you know where where are you at on on the Blue Jays and and their future and and how dependent is that on being able to to keep or or get somebody back like Robbie Ray yeah, there were two teams in Major League Baseball that teams did not want to play come playoff time. They knew that they could get hot at a at a flick of the uh, flip of the switch, and that was one the Atlanta Braves, and two the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays fell short, and they did not make the playoffs. But the Boston Red Sox had their choice. Excuse me, the New York Yankees had their choice whether they would play the Boston Red Sox or. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, if there was a tiebreaker. They chose the Boston Red Sox for a reason. Nobody wanted to play the Blue Jays. Now, Robbie Ray, Cy Young contender, uh, probably the front runner uh, going into the offseason. He's probably going to win the Cy Young this year, at least all expectations are. He's going to be costing a lot of money. Marcus Simeon, he signed a one-year deal for this reason. That man wanted to get paid. Uh, They didn't get a long-term deal in Oakland, which was his hometown. That's why he went to Toronto and got that one-year deal. He's going to demand a lot of money. Toronto specifically, though, they don't need help offensively. They need help pitching-wise. So, as you mentioned earlier, I think Robbie Ray is definitely going to be the priority. Um, And then after that, it's going to look to the bullpen. There's a lot of interesting guys on that list. Raisel Glacius from the Los Angeles Angels had a really solid year with Los Angeles as their closer. He's going to be a free agent. agent. Craig Kimbrell, he's going to be a free agent. Ryan Tapera, Aaron Loop, a really, really solid year with the New York Mets. A lot of interesting bullpen options. I think that's where Toronto is going to have to focus because that was uh, probably their lowest uh, lowest performing entity, if you will, from their team last year. That's really going to be their priority going into the offseason. Um, Danny, the Blue Jays had a lot of success uh, in the past acquiring a third baseman from the Oakland A's, which really worked out well. Is there a chance the Blue Jays could be in, in on Matt Chapman if, in fact, the A's are willing to trade him? And there's a relationship there. Oakland's in a very weird situation. They just got rid of their manager and Bob Miller. It drives me crazy talking about Oakland because I think there's so much potential there, so much talent, and I believe they're just absolutely wasting it. Um, Getting rid of your manager, uh, not willing to pay players, uh, willing to walk away, as I mentioned, with Marcus Simeon last year, a hometown kid. And the Toronto Blue Jays were able to steal him away for one year, $18 million, and they just let him walk. It's frustrating to see where Oakland is, and they have this stadium issue where – the city of Oakland supposedly have, has accepted uh, the new proposal for the stadium. There's so much going on outside the diamond, outside of O.Co. Coliseum, that it's so tough to gauge what they're going to do as a franchise, as an organization. With Matt Chapman, he's going to be up for arbitration. Um, he's going to be making a little bit more money. He's been one of the most valuable players, especially defensively, since he made his debut just a few seasons ago. But – as is always the case with Oakland, he's going to cost more money the older he gets. He did struggle this year offensively. With that said, 
Uh, he was just as great defensively as he always has been. So it's going to be interesting to see. There's obviously that relationship between Toronto and Oakland. Like you said, Josh Donaldson paid huge dividends for Toronto uh, for years. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't want to you know, speculate here, but they have a relationship. They have a past, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what Oakland does. That's going to be super interesting. Danny Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast. Danny, great stuff. Thanks for this. I appreciate it, guys. Enjoy. I can't wait. Uh, players and owners fighting over money again. So fun. It looks like we're what's, heading down. What's more road. fun? Let me let me ask you a hypothetical. What's more fun to think about? Players and owners fighting over money, or when you bring up Oakland, all I can think of is they have on multiple occasions had a river of poop flowing through their stadium because it's so old well, and decrepit. I don't know what's worse to think about, honestly. Well, that's that's interesting. Uh, when I think of labor negotiations, I think of what's a worse conversation to have, that or, like, who's better, LeBron or Jordan? Mm. LeBron, but we won't go there. Okay. That's Jordan, <laughs> You but can't whatever. do it to me. I, I am who I am. I am sorry. No, that's fine. It's just so frustrating. Like, it's great uh, especially if you're a blue jays fan the team won 91 games missed the playoffs easily could have won the world series and that's why when the baseball playoffs are a crap shoot just get in you can win the whole damn thing like the that's why the regular season is so hard uh it's because it's the true test of a real team their medal uh, how they can survive injuries and win games like ba- like baseball again the, the playoffs are such a crapshoot. I feel like baseball should be more like uh, English Premier League. Like the mm-hmm. league champion is based on the regular season because it's so important. And then they have like the Commissioner's Cup or something for the for the yeah. playoffs. Like it's like, like hey, man, this, this matters too. This is also important. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, and of course, Jays fans absolutely kicking themselves because they went 6-0 yeah. against the Braves this year. Not that like, you would not that you would have swept them in the World Series, but yeah. you know, when you slept them in the regular season and then they go on to win the World Series, that's, uh, yeah, pretty frustrating. Like the, again, for I don't know what year in a row, maybe outside of last year, the best team in baseball didn't win the World Series. Like, they nope. usually don't. Like, look at some of the past World Series champs. They just get hot at the right time, win the whole damn thing. That's why, if you're what? a Blue Jay fan, just get me into the dance because this team's capable of winning a World Championship. I talked One. about it as we were heading down the stretch. They can potentially win a World Series as long as they get into the playoffs. Like, Completely. look at the Braves. Very similar makeup. And it's funny he said that. There were two teams, Danny, that he goes a lot of teams didn't want to face. The Blue Jays and Braves, which had Alex Anthopoulos' handprints all over both of them. That's right. Uh, what? One last thing, uh, I just in in the latest edition of baseball, who knows the playoffs? Who knows what'll happen? Uh, I I had to twitch viscerally in my eye when I heard that Aaron Loop had a tremendous year for the Mets. Sure enough, he did. But yeah. imagine that being the sexy bullpen acquisition this summer. It would just yeah. take a lot of mental gymnastics uh, on a lot of people's parts, I think. And if there's one thing that Alex Anthopoulos left as a parting gift for the Blue Jays, it was the signing of Vladimir Guerrero Jr when he was a 16-year-old out of the Dominican Republic. And it took a lot for Alex Anthopoulos, the moves he made, the maneuvers he made to move that international money to sign that kid was an incredible gift he left for this franchise. All right, uh, straight ahead, talk some NFL. What a crazy 48-hour news cycle in the National Football League. To break it all down, Dom Cosentino, senior features writer for The Score, will join us. At the top of the next hour, Ryan Dixon, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. We'll look around the ice, talk some Leafs, with Ryan Dixon as well, and got to jump into these Jack Eichel rumors that are flying all over the place. Sportsnet tonight, that's the very famous Brent Gunning. I'm George Russick, Sportsnet 590, the fan. 
Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. No medical exam or health questions will be asked. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet, Bob Nottie, the fan. George Russick, Frank Cunning here at the top of the next hour. Pal Ryan Dixon, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. Talks to Maple Leafs and all those Jack Eichel rumors. It's getting hot. It's getting close, we think, but we're not sure. And he still needs major neck surgery if he's actually going to play in the NHL this year. So who knows uh, when Jack Eichel will be playing. Who plays a regular season game first? Real quick here, Brent Cunning. Jack Eichel or Deshaun Watson? Ooh, got to go Eichel? Well, especially because Watson now, you know, like, there's no way the Texans are letting him back in the lineup. Yeah, this is true. So, yeah, I go, I'm going Eichel. I, yeah, I'm going Eichel, and it doesn't feel good to say for many, many reasons. But, yes, Eichel. Okay. Um, what a crazy 48 hours from the NFL. A busy, busy news cycle. To break it down and look ahead to Week 9, Dom Cosentino is the senior features writer for The Score. Dom, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. No, no problem. Thanks for jumping on. Can you think of a time where there's just been these blockbuster story after blockbuster story in the NFL, Dom? No, it was a dizzying day. Just, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, as soon as I was trying to digest one, there were three more uh, things to, you know, items to read or to to scroll through Twitter to to keep up with. Uh, Really, really kind of wild. No question. Um, Aaron Rodgers, uh, this is fascinating here. Is this, are we all guilty as fans in media to make too many assumptions potentially on his vaccination status. And why is it that important, Dom, really? Well, it's important because the league has a set of protocols that, that, that the league and the But it's union not mandatory, to. right? Well, yeah, I think it is. You know, I, Not I, for I the players. For the players? No, it's not mandatory for the players. It's mandatory for the staff, but not the players. Well, no. No, no, no. But the, the protocols, though, are for yes. Not, they're not. It's not mandatory that they're vaccinated. But if you right. you're unvaccinated, you have to adhere. That's what I was getting at. You have to adhere yes. to a certain set of protocols. And so that may be where there's a disconnect here, and and where hmm. the Packers and even Rodgers could find themselves in hot water with the league. You know, was, was he walking around like an unvaccinated? You know, according to the vaccinated protocols or the unvaccinated, because it's very different. Uh, you know, in terms of wearing masks, what you can do socially, things like that. Um, you know, all of that comes into play. And if he was misleading about that and, and vi- he's in violation of those protocols and could face fines or, or whatever else the commissioner decides. Yeah, and I think I think that that's the maybe most interesting thing that's come out is because, you know, George and I had this uh, conversation earlier on in the show of was he purposely misleading? Does it matter if he was or not? And the, the point I keep coming back to with this is, you know, when you're you're an NFL player, you're not a regular person. When you're a quarterback, you're not a regular NFL player. And when you're an MVP-level quarterback, you're not a regular quarterback in this league. So to have the idea of, I just would like my privacy, I would not like to get into it. It just, I mean, whether he deserves it or not, that's one question. But it just feels naive to me to think that there was, that that he thought he was going to go a full season where this wouldn't have come out, what his actual vaccination status was. And, I mean, I believe he thought he could skirt it, that it wouldn't impact the team. But that's not going to be the case either because it's definitely going to impact them on Sunday. 
Yeah, and it's a big risk he's running because now he's not playing on Sunday, and and who knows what other sort of repercussions there may be. You know what kind of fallout with the league over this. Uh, you know, look, he, he, like you said, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to. He could have gone through the unvaccinated protocols, but if he's skirting that, there are consequences for it. And yeah, he's he's the face of the franchise. The Derrick Henry news was uh, earth-shattering too, Dom. Um, broken foot. Uh, we don't know how long he's going to be out for. Six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks. We don't know when he's going to come back. And apparently it's an issue with a guy his size to be dealing with that type of injury and how quickly he's going to come back with his ability to cut. Uh, where were the Tennessee Titans at before this injury to Derrick Henry? And where are they at, in your opinion, now without Derrick Henry when it comes to the AFC and where they rank? Well, you know, I think before where they were before his injury, they, they, they were in very good shape because they do have a pretty complete offense. You know, Ryan Tannehill has kind of found himself in this sort of play-action, heavy, efficient scheme that they've been using since Tannehill took over a couple of years ago. Uh, now, where they'll be without him, I think that's hard to say because, on one hand, you know, play-action is predicated on can be predicated on having a good running game, but but maybe it's not either because I think there's there've been some some analytical studies that show that that it is more about getting the linebackers to hold and freeze, uh, you know, to, to give a quarterback extra space. So you know, I'll be interested to see how the Titans adjust their game plan, if they continue to be play-action heavy without him or not, in terms of how they throw the ball. But they do have plenty of other weapons, and Tannehill has shown you know, that, that he's, he's certainly an above-average starting quarterback who can make plays. I think the thing that I, I keep coming back to with that Titans team is, you know, we've we've learned over the past, I don't know, five years, decade, it feels like that for the most part, running backs are replaceable. He feels like mm-hmm. the one guy that's not like he just does it in, in such a different way. And he's so dominant that I I just wonder, you know, obviously they've signed Adrian Peterson. They're not going to find Derrick Henry in that. But that that's the thing that makes me really curious to see how it'll all play out. You know, looking at the Cardinals, they, they suffered their first loss of the season, the Thursday night or the Packers. Kyler Murray's banged up. J.J. Watt is done. You know, where, where are you at on this Cardinals team? Because for me, I've been a big believer, except for the fact that I don't believe Kyler Murray can make it through a season. And we're starting to see he's banged up with the ankle now. You know, where, where are you at on, on the Cardinals and, and, you know, how far they can go this year? Yeah, that's always the issue with Murray, with, with the style of play he has. He's not built like Ben Roethlisberger, you know, who, who 10 years ago was extending plays in that way. And, you know, so he, he's gotten hit. He, 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 he hurt the ankle the other night. He had the shoulder problem last year. That's going to be a big question. But I think he, he certainly was playing at a very high level. And if he didn't have that miscommunication at the end last week, uh, they, they win that game. He was still terrific on that drive. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I, I, you know, they struggled in the last eight weeks of the season last year when he had the shoulder problem. So I'll be interested to see, you know, how much this slows him down because he's so good at extending plays and getting out of the pocket, making plays on the move, how that will affect the way he plays because he's not going to be a stationary pocket-type passer. He's not effective when he does that. Dom Cosentino is a senior features writer for The Score joining us here on Sportsnet tonight, George and Brent, Sportsnet, Bob, Nutty, the fan, Dom, we're hearing all these stories that uh, Kevin Stefanski, the Cleveland Browns head coach, told Odell Beckham Jr. just stay home, stay away from the team. I, I, he didn't get traded during the deadline when LeBron James was getting things trending free OBJ. Uh, his dad was putting up <laughs> videos of him being open. Has OBJ played his last game as a Cleveland Brown? Are they just going to release him after giving up what they did? 
uh, to acquire him just to get rid of this headache on their team? That's a great question because I, you know, I, I got to think that if they're willing to put him on ice the way they have and and send him home, you know, you know, that that they may be headed toward that. You know, I imagine they tried to trade him, but perhaps couldn't get the kind of return they were hoping for. That may have been the holdup. Um, but this also could be a scenario where they just want to cool their jets here because of the, you know, the trade deadline is probably a pretty stressful thing for Odell, and they want to let that all kind of, you know, water under the bridge kind of thing. Uh, it'll be worth monitoring, but it's it's really hard to say because they haven't released him yet. Uh, but but we do, you really don't see too many scenarios where a star player is told to, to to you know to stay away from the team though. No, no, you don't. And I'm I'm really curious to see how that plays out. And you know, anytime you have LeBron and your dad in your corner, uh, that that's got to be a, a a good thing for you. Uh, quasi local. Well, his dad team. would be in his corner. Well, anyway, I would sorry. hope so. I'm just saying. You know, I'm I was just saying those are the exact same thing. Your dad and LeBron. It's just they they hold just as much weight uh, in the world. Uh, Buffalo Bills, quasi local team here. They take care of business, albeit in a stumbly kind of ugly win. Twenty six eleven is the final, but I think the you know the score is a little more favorable to them than they deserve is that proof that a team like buffalo can take care of business even when they're not at their best or does it give you some pause following the loss to the titans the week before that no i i i, I think the bills may be the best team in the afc um and i, I think they're the way their defense has played this year uh, in particular i know that you know they gave up a lot of points the week before against the titans but uh you know really th- th- that's been a big strength for them and, 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 you know, even though Josh Allen is not as ex- playing as exceptionally well as he did last year, he hasn't regressed to where he was, you know, before last year. So, he, you know, he, he's, there are some accuracy issues, but he's able to overcome them. He's still able to make big plays. And I think when you factor all that together, uh, to me right now, I still think they're the best team in the AFC. Are the Chiefs a playoff team, Dom? Yes, I still think. Even that, with that uh, schedule? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the schedule's rough here these next three games, um, but after that, it eases up a little bit, you know. And I, I you know, they're they're still pretty good. I, 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 I guess for me, and, and I wrote about this last week. I'm not ready to count them out until they're out. You know, this is sort of I, I, like to me, a part, some of this, at least right now, feels a little bit like the the, the Patriots when we think back to 2014 and the on to Cincinnati time, and everybody thought they were done, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Chiefs are going to do that. But I'm not ready to count them out quite yet because I still think Patrick Mahomes is capable of making plays to win them games. Yeah, it's so tough when you have a player involved like Pat Mahomes. You just sit there going, how can I not believe in that? But when it, you know, sometimes they're just those year from hell years for you. And, you know, their their year from hell might look a little better than most teams do. But, yeah, it's going to be, uh, I'm curious to see how, how that plays out. Uh, you know, sticking sticking in the AFC uh, team, I always have, have my eye on the New England Patriots. Picked up a couple straight wins. The thrashing of the Jets, uh, obviously a much, much better win on Halloween uh, over, over the Chargers. You know, on one one hand, I think that just to, to be the win against the Chargers just proves Bill Belichick may have lost a bit of his fastball, but he still knows how to handle a youngish quarterback. And maybe that Patriots team's a little better than we all thought. Well, what did you make of the win uh, against the Chargers on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, their defense is very impressive. Um, you know, Belichick can cook up those game plans. And I think Mac Jones is just playing a very efficiently. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, he, he's not stretching the field. He's not taking a lot of chances. But I think they're I think they're handling him the right way, in that they're putting him in situations where he can he can play it relatively safe and let him handle that and, and go from there. 
Um, so, yeah, you know, the, I, I think the Patriots are, are kind of headed in the right direction, so to speak, in terms of, of, of the rebuild that they have. And it sounds, still sounds crazy to think of the Patriots rebuilding, but, uh, but I think that's where they are and they're on the right track. Dom, it feels like the NFC is, I don't think it feels like, I, I think it is, uh, the best teams in the NFL reside in the NFC outside of maybe the Buffalo Bills. Um, why aren't we talking more, and I know we all have Tom Brady fatigue, and the guy just wins every year, and it's just a, a broken record, and everybody's so tired of his greatness. But Dom, if I just look at the numbers, I, I read a piece that Josh Allen's the favorite to win the MVP now. And oh, look, if Derrick Henry didn't get hurt, he's the MVP. And then Matthew Stafford making his case for the MVP. If you actually look at his numbers, Dom, Tom Brady's the MVP of the NFL so far this season. And I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, you know, he, I, I think it's the fatigue thing. You know, he's been doing this for 20 years, and, you know, you almost, you know, it's almost easy to overlook and take for granted the fact that he's there. But, you know, I, I had the thought when he threw that deep touchdown pass, uh, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter of the game the other day that, like, I, you know, I think I texted a cousin of mine where I said, like, he's going to do this forever, isn't he? Because it just seems like, <laughs> you know, anytime he gets an opportunity to make a play in a big game, he does it. And then, of course, the Saints gave him the ball back with a minute 40 to go. And I was convinced, as probably half the world was, that he was going to win it there. Now, I know he threw the pick, but – but you look at the way he's played on the whole this year. Yeah, he, he, he should be in that MVP conversation, if not leading it right now. But, you know, we've been talking about the guy for 20 years, and maybe we'll talk about him for 20 more. I don't know. Uh, Dom, when you guys comes... have – sorry, go sorry, ahead, Brett. George. No, no, go um, ahead. Um, when it comes to that loss uh, to the uh, Saints that, that the Bucks had on Sunday, uh, I know everyone was focusing on the interception – but was Sean Payton really bailed out there with just horrendous clock management there at the end of the game? Yes. You know, it's funny. He, he gave the explanation afterward that he wanted to be aggressive, that he felt that if he, he you know, his, his aim there was to score a touchdown, to put the pressure on Brady to have to come back up the field and score a touchdown. And I, while I understand that logic, I still think that, you know, when Trevor Simeon's your quarterback and there's the, the Bucks have one timeout remaining and you're looking at a first down, you know, inside the red zone and you've got an opportunity to run more than a minute off the clock at least and have the Bucks use their last timeout, you've got to, you know, to kick the field goal and win the game, you, you've got to do that and, and give, give Brady the ball back with virtually no time left. He certainly got bailed out because I think half the world was expecting Brady to come back up the field and win that game. Only half? Only half of the world? We just talked about how we've been talking about this for, for 20 years. At least two-thirds. At least. Whatever percentage of the world is covered by water. I think that percentage of people uh, should have should have uh, expected the comeback. Uh, you know, one team that did load up, we talked about the moves that didn't get made, Odell, Beckham staying in Cleveland. Uh, the Rams go out and they and, and they get Von Miller. You know, this is a guy who had such a big uh, impact during the Broncos Super Bowl run of Super Bowl Fifty. You know, the Rams. I was really bullish on them to start the season. All they've done is is make me feel like a smart, smart man watching the play. And then I see them add Von Miller. I expect more big things. You know, we talked about how how loaded that NFC is. Are are they at the the, the kind of top of the pack for you, or, or how close to it are they? Yeah, I mean, they certainly were already at the top of the pack, and I think Miller, the, you know, the reason they make this trade, the reason they give up a second and a third round pick when they, they've already given up all their other picks, it seems like, is that it gives them an opportunity to, to you know, to, to kind of maybe take that next step. Uh, where now, defense, you know, I know Von Miller's not the 2015 Von Miller who won the Super Bowl MVP, um, but he's certainly still a very effective edge rusher, and now 
you know, opposing offenses have to worry about Aaron Donald on the inside and Von Miller on the outside, that's a lot to handle. And, uh, you know, it could be the added piece that they need, you know, to, to get to, to be the team to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. Going to be super fascinating. Dom Cosentino, yeah. Senior Features Writer for The Score. Dom, great stuff. Thanks for this. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah. Um, again, Tom Brady, uh, he's the MVP. Uh, I know it sucks. It's like the LeBron thing, that LeBron could have won the MVP every year, especially in his prime in the NBA. But mm-hmm. Tom Brady, if you look at his numbers, uh, leading the I believe he's still leading the NFL in touchdown passes, right up there in yards, completion percentage. All the big-time stats uh, and wins, wins aren't really a quarterback stat, but whatever. Uh, Tom Brady should be the MVP of the league, and I don't think a lot of people want to hear that because they just want something different. They, there's definitely the want something different fa- facet of it as well. And then I think the fact that heading into the season, people had already kind of lathered themselves up about a lot of other guys. You know, you mentioned Josh Allen, obviously. He was somebody who was who was thought of in that regard. And then I think the other thing is the the sexy aspect of it. Not that Tom Brady isn't, you know, very sexy. Just just look very just handsome. look at the man. But you got Kyler Murray scooting all over the place. You got Josh Allen running, hurdling guys. It's just a more kind of, you know, visually a appealing brand of football and I think that's also part of it but you're right he should absolutely be the MVP yeah Tom Brady leads the NFL in passing yards uh that's pretty good uh touchdown passes uh Tom Brady's right up there in touchdown passes as well I'll tell you right now he is number one in touchdown passes as 25 Matthew Stafford second at 22 yeah, and the only guy, the only guy who has less picks than him of the guys kind of in that mix is is Rodgers, and he is eight TDs back, and he's only throwing two less picks than Brady has. So he's been both, you know, hitting the deep ball and being relatively efficient as well without turning the ball over. All the things you want to see. Yeah, he has been fantastic. Uh, the NFC is super interesting to me too because you talked about the Cardinals, and I thought you had a great point about Kyler Murray. Show me that you can actually stay healthy for the entire season, so you're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Because the Cardinals really went downhill last year when Kyler Murray started dealing uh, with his shoulder issues, and if they can stay healthy, they're a very exciting team. And it's funny how narratives flip, right? If AJ Green just gets that sign from Kyler Murray, right. he's catching that ball. That ball was thrown in the exact spot where it was supposed to be. Cardinals catch that ball, score the touchdown. Packers have barely any time to make it down to the field. Uh, Cardinals are 8 No, We're talking about the best team in football. Yeah, it is amazing. And this happens in the NFL more than any league. Oh, yeah. Sliding doors moments in week eight. I guess, yeah, we're heading into week nine. So so in week eight, it's it, it happened. And that's why this league is the best, because we are sitting here having a completely different conversation. And I'm adamant about what I said about, about Kyler Murray. I think he is maybe the most fun player to watch in football. I just feel like for the better part of his career, we're going to be having the conversations about incredible Octobers, incredible Novembers, and then slowing down in December and January because it's just, I don't know how a body that is built like that, and this is not a knock on him, not say he's not doing the work or anything like that. I just don't know how a man that size playing the way he does survives to be his 100% self when the games matter. And his quickness with the football is just phenomenal he's literally the most efficient runner in all of football when he has the ball in his hands and that guy just floats on the air he is so elusive he is so fast and growing up Michael Vick was was incredible but Michael Vick couldn't hold a candle to what Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray can do running the football um can I talk to you about something for the next two minutes which puts a big smile on my face Mm, that maybe isn't a very popular opinion 
I'd love to do this. Okay, so uh, if there's one take you will never hear anywhere else, and I'm not going to give it right now either because I don't really believe in it, but I think it's hilarious. Would anybody in this city be against a WNBA team? Against it? No, I don't yeah, think so. That's what I mean. Like, like it's the gonna, easiest like, you mean, like, you mean, likes but, and retweets thing because Drake came out, we need a WNBA team. Who's going to come out and say, actually, we don't? Who's actually going to come out and say that? Well, I would have, like, to be honest, it's like we're doing polls here. It's like you, truth teller, but not even you. Like, it's just like it is a wholly popular opinion. And, yeah, you're right. Like, there's just not a world where somebody says, no, thanks. We actually do not yeah. want this. Nope. Right. Like, no, but, I mean, does anybody come out and say, actually, nah, we, we're okay. We're good. We don't really need one. No, like, there's not, just, there is not a world where that comes out right. of anybody's mouth or on anybody's Twitter feed or, or <laughs> that's whatever. That's right. That's right. Because it's like the easiest slam dunk thing. Well, we absolutely need a WNBA team. Hit me with likes and retweets, please. When yeah. the Raptors aren't even selling out games. Well, let's bring the, in I, another team. Let me go one further. You know, I yeah. not, not to the compare Leafs. the two because it always happens. But, I, you know, I was at the last Leafs game and the, the max capacity is 19,000. And the ticket number that they read out started with 18. So that tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, I'm not against a WNBA team, but maybe not during a global pandemic. You bring in a new team. How about we wait a little bit? I mean, I, here's here's what I'll say. MLSE, part of which is owned by Rogers, has as much money as they want. They can do whatever they want. If they want to they have a WNBA team, great. I think it's good, honestly. But the idea that, the idea that this is the time to launch a business venture, yeah, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Um, it's again, uh, that's the take there. We're like, oh, of course we need a WNBA team. It's the easiest uh, thing on social media to get likes and retweets. I'm just saying, I'm not against it. Sure, can I, can it. I throw does, one? Does, do sorry, I watch ahead. any of the WNBA? No, I do not watch any of the WNBA. Do I watch, do I not watch a lot of sports? Right. I don't watch any college sports either. I just don't have time to follow all of it. God bless you if you do. If that's your thing, sure. I was even watching a little bit of rugby I watched on television last night, and then I was really trying to think of why people think it's better than football. I was really trying to concentrate, and I couldn't do it. But again, if that's your thing, great. If you're into that, if you're into the Wolfpack when they were here, that's great. It's just if the WNBA comes to Toronto, I probably won't be paying attention to it, which is fine. I don't even pay attention to the Argos. Yeah, like I can't neither. tell. I know they're in the playoffs. I know they got into the playoffs. But I, how much? Honestly, how much Argos have you watched this season? I. It's funny. I. Uh, I will not out this this fellow fan employee. But I did have a a uh, bit of a parlor game going. Of could we name one? Could we name an Argo? And uh, I know. I know McLeod Bethel Thompson is the starting quarterback. Okay, so he named the the this fan employee did get that one, and I said I don't know because I thought it was Ricky Ray. I thought he was still the starting quarterback. Okay, no, he's so not. I don't know. But I'm just saying, if that's your thing, that's fine. I'm not disparaging the Argos. I just I don't watch it, and I, I just have no interest in watching CFL. Generally speaking, if I had if I worked at a place where I had to follow the CFL because the listeners wanted to hear it, sure, I'd be I'd be all over it. But generally speaking, in this city, Toronto Argos aren't that popular. And I get it. They're owned by MLSE, which is owned by this company. I get all of that. I just I don't watch the Toronto Argonauts. I, I, I have no problem sharing that. Uh, you clearly don't watch the Toronto Argonauts either. I don't watch U.S. college sports. I do like watching soccer, but Toronto FC's really struggled this year. So I haven't watched many TFC matches as well because they've just been down in the dumps all season. You can't watch everything, Brent. And no. 
you can't support everything. And we only have so much time in the day to talk about the things that generally people on, who tune into this radio station want to hear about, like the Raptors, the Blue Jays, and the Maple Leafs. Those are our main things. That's what we got to pay attention to and watch. Everything else Believe is on me, the periphery. I would... Even the NFL's on the periphery. The it NFL's is. super popular in Canada, but the number one, the number three things in this city are Raptors, Leafs, and Blue Jays. That's what people want to hear. Yep. We all and we all have stuff we watch that that, that yeah. is not you front love golf. and center. Oh you my love god. Golf. The the amount of European tour and Asian right. tour golf and college yes. golf I watch. Yeah. Oh come on here and talk about I it. I watch tennis. What? I watch Champions you, League. I watch buddy, every buddy, qualifying you, match Serbia plays for Euros or World Cup. Sure. But like do I watch other things? No, I, I there's just no time in the day to watch everything. And if that's your thing, fine. Uh, bring a WWE franchise here. I don't. I don't see any downside to it. Perfect. Will I be nope. paying attention to it? No, I won't be. Nailed it. Ding, ding, ding. And let yeah. me tell you, whatever. Boy, sure. Boy, do like, you watch some tennis? Like you slid that one in there. No, you yeah. Watch some tennis, buddy. I love tennis. I can't wait for the Australian Open in a couple months. I love staying up till like I love three thirty in the morning watching live matches for Melbourne. I like doing that. Sure, if that's that, your thing, cool. If it's not, that's fine too. That I absolutely agree with you on. Not the Australian Open. Like, I have no desire to watch that. But I love the Open Championship because I love being up sure. at 3.30 in the morning. Get some junior coffee hockey. on. Coffee golf. I love it. Ju- it's the best. Junior hockey's huge in southern Ontario in parts, but not in the GTA. And if you this love junior true. hockey, that's cool. Like, our, our mutual friend, Sam McKee, loves the Owen Sound Attack. He's from Owen Sound. He watches Owen Sound Attack games. That's awesome. If that's your thing, cool. Not my thing, but cool. Quick other side note. I know I've yes. had about 15 of these. Uh, my uh, my OHL fandom will be up for grabs. I am closer to Hamilton, but I am uh, I'm, I I will listen to offers from the Mississauga Steelheads. I have a son that I need to take to hockey games uh, starting next How season. How dare you? Yeah. Why, why don't you make the 25-minute drive down to St. Catharines and be a Niagara Ice Dogs fan? Well, okay. You know what? Hey, here's what I'll say. They're in the mix as well. They are, yeah. they are absolutely in You're the mix. You're actually... Well, Hamilton's obviously Hamilton's closer because you live in Hamilton's Burlington. The closest. But you yeah. can go 25 minutes down the road, go to the beautiful Meridian Center in St. Catharines, and be an Ice Dogs fan. It's a beautiful barn, too. I used to watch, well, I won't say a lot, but like went to a handful of Ice Dog games when they were in Mississauga. And I actually saw a guy wearing a sweet Ice Dogs leather jacket over the weekend from like the Jason Spezza era. And it just took me back to being being like 11 Ooh, years old. It was very that is sweet. A sweet so leather. The is Ice Dogs are there. Is it as sweet as an eight ball jacket? Anyway. Oh, it, well, it basically looked like one just with the ice dog logo <laughs> on the back of it. So I'd say yes, as okay. sweet. And thank you for reminding me that the ice dog should be in the mix because that was bad of me. So good job for you reprimanding me on the air. Um, We got to run here. We got to talk to Ryan. <laughs> we Nixon. do. This Raptors game is winding down too. <laughs> we got to get to break. Sportsnet tonight, George and Brent. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Subscribe to our radio shows at iTunes or with your favorite podcatcher. Do not settle. Demand. Demand. Sportsnet 590, the fan on demand. Sportsnet tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan. George Russick, Brent Gunning here. We're here to the end of the Raptors whiz game from D.C. William Liu will take your calls and texts on Raptors reaction right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan when things are done in D.C., but right now he's an NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. Always fun to talk to Ryan Dixon. Ryan, how are you? Ryan, are you are you safe? Are you there? Talk to us, Ryan, please. Please, Hello. Ryan. Are you okay? You're yes. safe? Is okay. that any better? 
That's that's perfect. You sound you oh. sound marvelous. We may have had an earbud situation. I'm not sure. Okay, we're okay. We're all good. We're we're glad you're safe. We're glad everyone you're calm on. down. Yeah, where every, the, everything just let me just take a deep breath here. Uh, when it comes to deep breaths, uh, is it getting to the point now where we're getting sick of all this Jack Eichel talk and just want to see a damn trade to see where he's actually going to end up here? Because I'm tired of all this speculation. Or are you feeding off all these rumors, Ryan Dixon? Yeah, I mean, I'm always getting high off the the rumors, especially for a player like Jack Eichel. But yeah, man, this is really dragged out, and you know, you obviously you just hope. I mean, th- this guy is just sitting here with his his career has been hanging in the balance. It's essentially been hijacked, right, by all of this. And you know, for that player's sake, you certainly wish that he could get out there and get back and just get just get moving towards a resolution and start the next chapter. But yeah, for the rest of us who've been uh, hearing about this for what feels like six months now, yes, absolutely. It would be great to to have it come to uh, a resolution instead of us continuing to kick around various scenarios about teams that may or may not actually be involved in, in trading for them. Well, the good thing is, at least as far as I, I understand, you directly haven't reported any of these rumors, so you, you're not getting high on your own supply. It's Elliot not, Friedman's supply. It's a little, it's a little Kevin, Fried, uh, Kevin Weeks' supply there. Uh, so I'm happy, <laughs> I'm happy to see uh, that, that you're listening uh, to, to the wise wisdom of, of uh, Biggie Smalls. Now, I, know the, t- I know the commandments. Yes, you, you do. We all do. And now, in terms of, the, in terms of this trade, it just feels to me like it's just a bad thing for the league that it's dragged out this long. I think it's sexy at first, and anytime you have a big name and mix, and hey, Kachuk's going to be in play too, that's great. But I think it's just bad for, obviously it's bad for Jack Eichel, but I think it's just at this point in time, it's got to the point where it's just a bad look for the league. Absolutely, and I think, again, that goes back to the fact that his career is stalled. I mean, I think the league in general, I mean, I remember Brian Burke going way back talking about how, you know, as much as GMs and coaches poo-poo trade talk, it's good for the league because it means people are talking about the league, but not in this context. You're right. Like, I mean, it's just such a uh, such an awful situation where, you know, the two sides are just so dug in. And, it, you know, the this, this stopped being fun a long time ago, right? Put it that way. This isn't titillating talk about where, you know, where he could land, um, you know, what, what fortunes of a team could be changed. This is like, oh, my God, is this going to end up in court because these two sides are at loggerheads? And that's that's not a fun place to be when it comes to hockey message boards, right? Ryan, if, if we some of the juicy rumors we're hearing out there that Matthew Kachuk potentially could be a part of a Jack Eichel package from the Calgary Flames, let, let's play that game real quick. If Matthew Kachuk is with the Buffalo Sabres, how they started off at the season, and obviously there isn't too much talent on that roster, but they play hard for Don Granado. Could that potentially be a dark horse playoff team with Matthew Kachuk in the lineup? I don't know if I can get there yet, and I want to because I want, I mean, as much as I want for this to work out for, for Eichel, I want this to work out for Buffalo, too, because we all kind of have a soft spot for Buffalo, and we all know what great fans there are in, in Western New York. Um, I mean, I will say this. I don't know if they could get there this year, but I do think there's a little more talent there than you initially realize because we're so used to talking about them in the context of being so bad for so long that you don't realize, you know, what they have picked up along the way. And losing Eichel, I mean, obviously one way or another at this point, it's 
it's not working out with that player and, and, and he obviously hasn't been playing for for some time for the team. I mean, it's a blow to lose a guy of that caliber who would have been a first overall pick any year other than a Connor McDavid draft. But yeah, by the same token, you add a young player like Matthew Kachuk in there and now all of a sudden things are starting to take form a little bit. Um, again, I don't know that they're quite there, but when you start, you know, looking at someone like Dylan Cousins and, you know, Darlene, I still think is going to get there on the back end. Um, I, I, you start to see it for Buffalo a little bit more. It's certainly better than what they've got now because they're, they're obviously not getting anything out of the, you know, the, the guy who was their, their captain a short time ago. So um, it's, it's got to be exciting for Sabres fans. The, as much as this has probably been a nightmare situation, I mean, you've already made peace with the fact that Eichel is gone. The idea now of adding someone of Kachuk's caliber to a team, as you said, that's been overachieving so far, that, that's, that's got to get, uh, get you going. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there in terms of all the nice young pieces that are there. And now that the and I don't want to put this on Eichel, but just the stink of the whole scenario has weighed on this team. And now that it's kind of been removed and that look, he's not, he's Brian not coming back. So they, they've just been freed up to play. But if I, I, I just think I'm with you there in terms of the top end of the division is still too good that that's a big leap to make. Now, if I'm looking down the road in two, three, maybe four years time, if I'm just looking at, at the kind of you know, rebuilding teams in this division uh, in Buffalo, Ottawa, in Detroit, whose kind of young core do you like the best? That's a great question because it's funny. We, we get lost in the top of this division, as you mentioned, and Florida's kind of shut up there. Tampa's Tampa. You know, the Leafs obviously have a lot of talent, but it is, it's interesting to look at the bottom and consider like who might shoot up there. And, and obviously Buffalo and Detroit have already shown fairly well. I mean, I, I guess I still feel like the Senators are probably um, the closest to, to making a leap. I mean, it's tough to say because I don't want to bet my nickel against Iserman. And long term, I think Detroit is, you know, is obviously well positioned. Just feels like Ottawa has more guys right now who can make a difference. And I could see them, uh, you know, rising up to kind of nip at the heels a little bit. Long term, though, I don't know. I'd really have to, like, I'd have to sink some time into that. Like, maybe Detroit, assuming they do fall off a bit this year, finally gets some lottery luck because, you know, they've been finding, you know, the Siders and Raymonds, but they haven't been drafting first or second overall the way Buffalo has. You know, even Ottawa got up to third overall. Like, it would really help the Red Wings if they could get a bounce in the lottery, um, you know, maybe this year again, assuming they're, you know, they, they wind up being more of a, a bottom, you know, bottom tier team that could really give them an injection. But I guess if it came right down to it in terms of like, which of those three teams would I say would, you know, stands a chance at being, uh, you know, a real contender first, I guess I probably would go Detroit because of the Eiserman factor and because I just have so much faith in his ability to, you know, to find guys and, and to put the people around him that can find guys. I think you think about, uh, Cider, who I guess, I think was six overall when they got him, and you could just tell the way Eiserman was talking while the rest of the people were like, "Oh, we didn't," you know, uh, us in the media were like, "This guy seems like a bit of a leap to 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 reach up and get him at six And Eiserman, right from the beginning, was like, "Oh no, this is this is who we wanted," and yeah. you can see how it's unfolding. Much like uh, when all the outrage when Scotty Barnes was picked over James here in Toronto, or Morgan Riley like, to bring it back yeah. to the Leafs, like all Morgan things should Riley. be. 
Uh, I'm going to leave because we, we're low on time and blame me, um, Ryan Dixon. Uh, I two questions do. here before we go. I'm going to ask a question, <laughs> and then Brent's going to ask you a Maple Leafs question. But I want to have some fun real quick here. If you could name the three goaltenders for Canada at the Olympics right now, who are they? Man, it is wide open. I was just thinking the other day, Carter Hart's probably thrown his hat back in the ring. Um, uh, I want no part of Carter Hart and net for Canada, by the way. None of that. I can't watch that. We know, you know, it sounds like Carey Price is, um, you know, is going to be back on the ice before too, too long. You still get the sense it's his job to lose. Um, I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood's got the jab now. Maybe he's back in the mix. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we came into like Bennington? Yeah, I mean, he's 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 got the pedigree, right? Um, he's going to try to fight someone in the Olympics if we bring him yeah, over. Guys. Awesome, like, that's not, going not, to happen. Why not spice it up? We obviously <laughs> thought it was going to be Flurry and. In Price, we had those two guys penciled in a month and a half ago, and let's just say that you know things have been kind of upended, and it, it the the jobs certainly appear uh, at least a couple of them they they appear there for the taking. Yes, they are. Oh, Olympic talk! It, it warms my my blackened heart. All right, two <laughs> very long. quick yes or no questions on the Leafs: Will they be a playoff team this year, and will it be as a top three team in the Atlantic? I'll say. Yes, they will make it. Will they finish ahead of Florida, Boston, Tampa? I'll say yes. They'll find a way yeah. to get into a, a, the three spot. Okay, I like it. Ryan Dixon, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. Ryan, always great stuff. Thanks for this. Anytime, gentlemen. Yeah, I uh, guns. <laughs> he didn't sound too enthusiastic there at the end. Um, any, please, no Carter Hart. Have you have you watched Carter Hart play goal in the NHL well, I, recently? Yeah, it's not it's not great. It, no, it really isn't. There there is it's a shaky a dearth city. of goaltending for for Canada yeah. here. I'm it's, sitting it's here like praying we, Carey Price figures it out, which is the first time I've ever thought about a Canadian's goaltender. So that should tell you kind of everything about where I'm at yeah. with the rest of the goaltending options. It's like when you have a really good beer league team and your goalie sucks, and you're like, please don't just shoot on our goalie. Because we won't be able to make up these, this deficit right now. What's David Ayers doing? Soft. He's got to be a Canadian Here citizen, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, honestly, like it's come to the point where how are there no goalies? How? It's the number one hockey nation in the world. All that. Where'd all the goalies go? Do we yeah. like? Do we need a summit? What's oh, Marty Brodeur doing? Patrick Waugh. Can we can we pull some genius out of them? There's got Roberto Luongo. Something, please, somebody. Yeah, there, we didn't have issues before, Net. But when you just look at the the talent up front too it's just ridiculous honestly brent like the blue line isn't that spectacular either like it's good it's just I, not as good as what it is up front i like morgan riley but it kind of tells you everything that he's yeah you know really 100%. really in the thick of the conversation that's yeah, a very like, good defender but it's not a guy who should be like kind of lockish <laughs> like yeah. it's just it shouldn't be that yeah um the, the Ford group is so deep. Uh, it's the best Ford group and of all the other countries, and I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, you, you could always make up two Team Canadas. Obviously, that's always the talk. But the defense, maybe not as good as it has been in the past, and the goaltending, a bit of a question mark, but it's going to be super fun to watch Canada back in the Olympics, and we're all looking forward to that in February. Just real quick, too, do you know what weekend we have staring at us in February? I don't know. 
Okay, do you know that uh, during Super Bowl weekend, okay, the Super Bowl Saturday, or as my brother and I like to refer to it as, Super Bowl's Eve? <laughs> okay. Canada plays the United States in in Olympic hockey that night. Mm. I know we. This is this is makes me sick. I'm almost positive we open against Germany. The fact that yeah, I know that, sure, Ugh. but whatever. And they and then they play China on Super Bowl Sunday, but they play the United States on the Saturday, and then we get the Super Bowl on Sunday. I'm I'm so excited. I, what I an incredible say, weekend well, and, of sports! And because I'm me, the waste management will be going on that weekend as well, and there's always a great finish there. You can get it right before kickoff. It usually Poor, works out. A playoff goes right up to kickoff time. It's perfect. Poor mutual friend Ian Leggett won his only PGA Tour win <laughs> the day Canada broke their 50-year drought at the Olympics in Salt Lake in 02. Come on. How have I never known that fact? Like You I didn't know, know that? When he got the win. I did not realize it was that day. Yes. How have I? Man, Lego. Congrats and sorry. Yeah. Is all I have to say about that. Like, honestly, yeah. congrats. So sorry. Yeah, that exact day where Canada busted out uh, as <laughs> as the 50-year drought, that's when Lego won his only PGA Tour championship. And again, as 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 we were hearing, Gio Sakic scores. Yeah. I hope that wasn't a CRTC violation. That was in no way a, uh, a, a impression of the Olympic call. It was just my own calling of another Joe Sakic goal. Yeah, but no as that was happening... Ian Leggett was was tapping in for a win, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's like Farrah Fawcett was a very super famous actress and unfortunately passed guy? away of cancer. <laughs> she died the same day Michael Jackson did. Mm, not gonna, yeah, not gonna really get the headlines. Yeah, no. we talked about who's famous earlier. Both those people for sure famous. Yo, no, no yeah, <laughs> yeah, D duh, yeah, for sure. Uh, this was fun. Tons of fun. I love it. Yeah. Honestly, Raptors like we don't up. get to do we don't get to do enough of these together. I always love love when you get to shepherd me through two okay, wow. plus hours of radio. You're you're making me you're you're putting the feels in me right now. Like you mm. should watch the Tom Hanks movie. Uh it's a it's a whatever neighborhood, whatever the hell it's called, where he plays <laughs> yep. Mr. Rogers. Clearly made an impression on you, George. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the title is. It's just a great it's, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I believe. Uh big thanks to producer uh Jerry Manitat. Always great stuff. Andrew Dutch Holland behind the board as well. Uh, Raptors reaction with William Liu. He's taking your phone calls and your texts at 590-590 right after our show. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Guns, great job. Thanks for this, pal. Enjoy Raptors reaction pod on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Talk to you later. Bye.